Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Thank you, Scott Fransky. I was going to say we should play the song, but I forgot forgot to give you the song there. Let's play this. We'll play the uh, the uh, new theme song coming up soon. Uh, good morning, everybody. I'm Glenn Mack, now joined by Mike Sealski. Mike, it's been a while since we've been together, pal. Glenn, like George Costanza after a bite of mango, I'm back, baby. I'm back. There you go. Been so long that I forgot we had a theme song. That's Skip Denenberg wrote. For <laughs> That's us. right. Anyway, we'll, we do have one. Yeah, Jack Fritz, uh, g- put that up for the next segment if we can. So uh, there you have it. The Phillies win last night, uh, and thank you, Scott Fransky. Great performance by Zach Wheeler. Eleven strikeouts and six and two third before he leaves for rain delay. He he should have thrown the pitch instead of asking for a new ball there at the end. I don't know if you saw that uh, going into the rain delay. But yeah, he should have. Would have um, gotten one more. Yeah, he would have. It's it's a weird quirk of Major League Baseball rules that a guy who throws one pitch <laughs> gets credit for a strikeout. Yes, uh, absolutely right. Uh, so they win on that, and they also win on this big home run. Now Kyle Schwarber, who had a pop-up double to left his first time up and the pitch Schwarber swings and drives one high and deep left center on the run Sawinski at the wall and it is gone into the Phillies bullpen Kyle Schwarber with a two-run home run it's his 27th of the season and the Phillies strike first tonight in Pittsburgh they lead two nothing here in the third Spoiler alert, that would be all the runs that they would score and that they would need. All right, so, Mike, I, I know we've had this conversation before many, many times, but mm-hmm. it's really – it's still such an issue. So he was on – he's on base five times yesterday. Yep. Uh, hits a, that bloop double on the first pitch of the game that kind of falls among all the fielders out there. By the way, he gets stranded. Uh, hits that home run, has three walks, one intentional. Gets his batting average up to a lusty 186. <laughs> He's got an on base of 317. That's not the batting average of the leadoff hitter. That's the on base. And I, and I'll I know that we've done this. I know that every other show has done this, but it's still it's such a head scratcher. Mike Skilski, I don't get it. I I don't like it. I know it's just it's a bad day for me to argue this. They win when he leads off. He likes to do it, but I don't get it. Uh, look, I I think if Trey Turner this season had been the Trey Turner of last season and the season before that and the season before that, uh, there could be a really good discussion being had about whether Kyle Schwarber should be the Phillies' leadoff hitter. I don't think you can have that discussion now with the way Turner's hitting, and I don't know what the alternative is. Uh, Bryson Stodd has made some terrific strides ding, this ding, season. Ding, 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 ding. He's not an on-base guy either. Fifth most really. hits in Major League Baseball. Yeah, but he doesn't walk either. And 
I don't think having a guy with Schwarber's pop as your first batter is the worst thing in the world. Uh, I think it's a tone setter to have him come up and sometimes hit a home run, sometimes take a walk. Uh, the bigger issue to me is obviously the defense in left field and if they can make any moves or changes to get him out of there. But you need him in the lineup, and if he's most comfortable hitting leadoff, uh, I'm not sure what the alternative is. All right, here's the alternative argument. You ready? Go. And I think I, I think you were away uh, when I did this. I think you were gallivanting on your Chevy Chase European vacation when this came up. I, <laughs> I was listening to uh, Holiday Road by Lindsey Buckingham That's quite exactly. a bit. <laughs> I might have proposed this to Jody Mack. Bryce Harper leads off. Highest uh, on base percentage on the team, 380. Hold on, let me check right now. 383. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he hit a home run the other night, but he's still, he's not he's not exactly, he's got five home runs, 261 at-bats. But he gets on base, he's an energy guy, he's a pace setter. How about Bryce Harper as your leadoff guy for a while? I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that if Harper weren't opposed to it. I do think Rob Thompson and more managers throughout Major League Baseball nowadays are going to take the comfort of particular players and where they like to hit in the lineup into greater consideration than a generation ago. And we know Schwarber really likes to hit there. I don't know if Harper would object to hitting leadoff or not. Uh, I think I don't it's an either, intri- to be honest. With yeah, you, but... I, I think it's an intriguing idea. I'd be open to it. Uh, I hadn't thought of it just because he's Bryce Harper. You don't think mm-hmm. of him being a leadoff hitter, but it's not a bad idea. Well, that's the direction I would go. We'll ask people the question, 215-59, excuse me, 215-592-9494. I talk for a living. Uh, <laughs> who do you think should bat leadoff? And I will, again, concede today they win when Schwarber bats leadoff. I've seen the record of what he what they do when he bats leadoff. I just don't understand it. I just I cannot. Can you give me the logic in it in 30 seconds or less? Well, I think the logic in it is he's not been a career 186 hitter. And so uh, if you're getting the hitter that Kyle Schwarber has been throughout his major league career, you're getting somebody who can hit the ball 450 feet, excuse me, sees a lot of pitches, uh, generally gets on base, uh, and likes hitting there. Again, I think a comfort, the comfort aspect of this is a big factor. Uh, and the fact that they don't have – unless Harper comes around, and you're uh, the one thing you have to take into consideration here, Glenn, is you're asking an awful lot of Bryce Harper not only to change positions and move to first base, but now bat leadoff. You're putting yeah, an awful lot on know. his plate. Yeah. But what's the alternative, right? When they signed Trey Turner, we all thought, okay, Turner will hit first or second, and, and they'll adjust accordingly, and it just hasn't worked out. Okay, so you brought up the second most debated guy in the team, I guess, after, Kyle, uh, after uh, Schwarber. And so let's go to this because this is yesterday. This is actually earlier in the game when Schwarber led off with that kind of bloop double. Up comes Trey Turner, and here's how that one ends. Poor guy goes 0 for 5 last night. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he cannot drive in or even move up. Five guys on base yesterday. There five guys on base during his at-bats. He couldn't move anybody. He did make one nice defensive play. Mm-hmm. Although, I read a thing earlier this week that for all the attention paid to how poorly he's doing at the plate, he has the third most errors in baseball among shortstops. Yeah, my uh, my colleague Scott Lauber, I believe. There you go. That, By the way, Scott's going to be a guest uh, tomorrow. Um, and Scott wrote that if you if you trust the defensive metrics, which, which I don't always trust the defensive mm-hmm. metrics, but if you do, 
He's four runs below average in defensive runs saved, which is very different from what he has done in his previous years. So here you go. Here's the the, the the second most commonly asked question in this town regarding the Phillies is, what do you do? Do you hire a sports psychologist? Uh, I, I don't know, Glenn. I don't know if we've talked about this. I went down to Raleigh, North Carolina, where mm-hmm. Turner went to college. He went to North Carolina State, and that's kind of where he made the quantum leap uh, as a player that got him to be a hot prospect and uh, ended up getting drafted and all that. He had been drafted before, but he really blossomed in college. And I talked to his coach. I talked to his best friend. I talked to people who knew him as well as anybody. And to a man, they all talked about how confident and self-assured he was, even at a young age. He seemed like the kind of guy who would be the last kind of guy to go through what he has gone through this season, which is struggling to adjust to a new team, to a gigantic contract, to, let's say, a little bit of pressure that comes with being the quote-unquote final piece on a team that's supposed to contend for a championship. I'm blown away by his struggles. I I just would not have thought that he'd be going through this, and I don't know what you do except continue to run him out there and maybe lower him in the batting order. What else can you do? Yeah, well, you can bench him against lefties for Edmundo Sosa. um, Yeah. Although Turner's actually hitting – a little bit better against no he's not he's saying 224 against lefties 220 248 again no no i'm reading sosa stats excuse me sosa uh is sosa's not a world beater this year no i don't want to deep dive into the stats here but so sosa is is kind of not the everyday player maybe people hoped he would be and nor is he the defensive star that people oh, thought no. he would be so you can do that um I don't know. I I, I, I I think the answer is you keep playing him and you just bat him, you drop him in the batting order. Yeah, I'll say this, Glenn, and I, I'm sure we're going to get into trade deadline talk. Um, the, the fact that Turner has been this bad really complicates things, I think, for the Phillies at the trade deadline because you have to consider adding, as everybody's been discussing, a right-handed bat to help a lineup that – shouldn't need the help of a right-handed bat. You just yeah. signed a guy for 11 years and $300 million. Uh, and we can get into this later in the show. I'm still not fully persuaded that adding a right-handed hitter is should be their top priority. I think there's well, something let's not, else. Actually, let's get, let's get into that now. Okay. Um, so, the, first, let's look at where they are. They're, they're, they're streaky. Uh, in the last two weeks, they, um, they won four straight, then they lost four straight. Now they've won four out of five. Uh, they are currently in the lead wild card position in the National League by a uh, comfy one half game margin. Uh, the good thing is, the beneficial thing is, the Giants, the Marlins, the Diamondbacks just keep losing, so it's it's working out well for them. The Marlins have kind of re- not the Marlins. Um, who's the other team in there? Somebody else has kind of recovered, the, but uh, yeah, the Diamondbacks have really fallen off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the schedule looks good. The stretch now is they play the Pirates now. Then they play the Marlins. Not an easy team, but a, you know, a division team. Then they play the Royals. Yeah. Then they play the Nats. So that's 13 more games to get fat here to really kind of help your position. Yeah, and you can bury the Marlins, too. Uh, yes. If you, if you take that series against them. Yeah, and the Phillies have always done so well. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> and the ghost of Jeff Conine raises oh, his Oh, my God, yes. Uh, I know that this may sound foreign to you. I used him the other day for Immaculate Grid. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Trade deadline, Tuesday, 6 p.m. What do you want to see him do? 
All right, so this is a little bit outside the box, as I said, because the focus has been so much on them adding a bat, and preferably a right-handed bat. If I were the Phillies, I would try to add an arm to the bullpen. Matt Gelb from The Athletic had a really interesting uh, story today in which he pointed out that Greg Kimbrell, who has been terrific, who has been better than I ever thought he would be for the Phillies this season, all-star, your closer, is on a pace to pitch 72 games this season. He has pitched more than that number of games in a season once in his major league career, Glenn, and it was in 2011. He's 35. You're one of your two top lefties in the bullpen. Gregory Soto is on pace to pitch 70 games. He has never appeared in 70 games in a season in his major league career. I think they need to add another bullpen arm, especially assuming they're in the playoffs or at least making a push in September, you need bullpen depth. They're like defensemen in the National Hockey League playoffs, Glenn. You can't have enough of them. And <laughs> so that's where go I would and go. sign Michelle Petit? <laughs> or uh, Danny Markov or something like that. <laughs> it's so funny because it, it, when you said it, just it, it got my mind flashing to all those late-season six defensemen the Flyers would always add at the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. But I, but I think it's, it's yeah, smart to you. do that. Yeah, and that's, no, that's I, why I, I would I hear look. you, and, and I'll say particularly with, with Jose Alvarado still out. Exactly. Who knows what's going to happen with him. What kind of version yeah. of Sir Anthony Dominguez are you getting? Yeah, what's going to happen with him? I get that too, so... Kimbrell has been great. The the bullpen has been really so much better this year, but I think that's a really good point. And the other part about that is you can always get those guys pretty cheap. Yeah, right? and there are a number of guys who are available who are in the last year of their contracts. They're a little bit up there in age. I'm, I'm thinking of guys like Jose Cisneros, Cisnero with the Tigers. He's 34. Uh, our oldest Chapman with the Royals, if you can get past his – spotty personal history and all of that. Uh, he's still a very effective reliever. Uh, there are guys out yeah, there. There are arms out there. Huh? Um, yeah, you saw that um, uh, David Robertson just moved from exactly. the to the Marlins, which is really the kind of move you're talking about making. That's exactly the kind of move I'm talking about making. And wasn't it terrible to see the Mets kind of wave the white flag? No, that was, <laughs> that was great. That was great. So that makes sense. I, I, I like that idea. I think that's going to be cause not a lot of ripples, not a lot of excitement, but it is a smart move. I would like to see him get a another starter because mm. kind of everything you're saying, Christopher Sanchez has really been very good as the it's Phillies terrific. fifth yeah. starter, I know, and he, he pitched seven innings the other night, which was great. Uh, as ERA, it's 261 since he became the starter. But I don't know that I trust him down the road, and I know that we saw last year – when Wheeler missed a month with the elbow and mm-hmm. Zach Eflin went down with the knee, they'd like you just same thing about you're saying with the relievers, you just need all the starters you can get. Yeah, right? yeah, I agree. Um, so, now I will say this, Glenn Matt Gelb had this in his piece as well. Bailey Falter is touching ninety four on the gun in the minors. No, no thank you. No, <laughs> not ready for that. Okay. Not whatsoever. No, sir. Um, I'm, you know, uh, Lucas Giolito went from the White Sox to the Angels the other day which is interesting that the Angels are going in it. I know – see, I my whole mind was on was on poaching from the Cubs, mm-hmm. but now the Cubs are winning, and I think they're not going to bail. I think the Cubs look and think they can make this thing. Well, that's the hard part of this entire scenario is that so many teams think they're still in it, 
and and everything was kind of upset at the beginning of the season, right, where certain teams were playing well, like the Diamondbacks and the Marlins, and they've stayed in it, relatively speaking, throughout the course of the season. So they're going to be more reluctant to give up something uh, to a team like the Phillies that really wants to make a move. Yeah, there's a, a lot more buyers than sellers, or a lot more teams just kind of standing pat than selling. There's not a lot of sellers, and there's not a lot out there. The name that I, and again, it's going to be with the Cubs, and I don't think he's going to move now, or if he is, it's going to require a ton. Because the name I've been talking about all along, and it's not a right-handed hitter, it's a left-handed hitter, but he hits lefties. He's got an OPS over 1,000 against lefties. He's one of my favorite players in the majors and has been forever, was Cody Bellinger. Yeah, yeah, he's back. Oh, my God, is he back. He's he's, He's hitting better than anybody in baseball over the last month. His contract, he's got a um, an option to get out of his contract after this year. He's going to make a fortune going down the road. He would be a great rental and a guy you might consider keeping. Mm-hmm. But, I again, I don't know that the Cubs are going to go out. So the names, the usual suspects of the left fielder, right-handed hitter types, Lane Thomas, I must said Lane Johnson, yeah. Lane Thomas, <laughs> Tommy Pham, Dylan Carlson. Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall, Yurikson Profar. Teoscar Hernandez. Yeah, Teoscar. Yeah, I kind of like him because he's, he's versatile. Any of these excite you? Any of these cause ripples if the Phillies go out and get him on trade deadline? I mean, Duvall would be good. I think Thomas would be fine. Uh, again, it comes down to what do they have to give up to get them. And I just wonder if in, in the sliding scale of what do we have to give up in order to get something that's going to help us, I think the Phillies might benefit more by giving up less to get a reliever than giving up more to get a right-handed bat. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It does. You know what it is? The top five guys in the lineup just have to hit what they're supposed to hit. Yeah. And then you don't have to do this. If Schwarber and Castellanos and Harper and um, uh, Turner Turner and who's the fifth one? (laughs) Then whatever. Oh, and Real Muto. Yes. If they do what they're supposed to do, then none of this is a problem. Here's the thing, Glenn, and I know how weird this sounds, but I'm almost opposed to having the Phillies trade for a right-handed bat on principle just because they shouldn't have to because yeah, they well, signed Trey Turner. I know how weird that sounds, but... Yeah, principal left town in sports exactly. a few years ago. I'm not sure if you're aware of that as a sports columnist yeah. for a major metropolitan <laughs> newspaper. Don't know that anybody's ever told you I that. have no principle. There you go. Let's uh, talk to Eric in Royersford. Wants to talk about the deadline. Good morning, Eric. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hi, Eric. Great. But, um, I think it's all about fine-tuning. Like uh, like you were saying, get a couple arms in the bullpen because they're going to carry more pitchers in the playoffs anyway. It doesn't matter if you're looking for all these other guys. And you don't want to sell the farm to get somebody huge because the Braves won the World Series by making three, you know, forget-about-me moves. moves. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, Eric. I I think there's a lot of merit to what you're saying. Uh, And as I just said with Glenn, I think that the the trade-off of, okay, we're going to go out and get a big right-handed bat or the biggest one on the market, what do we have to give up to get that? Uh, I I just don't know that I I would do that if I were Dave Dombrowski. I think you won't have to give up as much to really help yourself in a key spot, and that's the bullpen. Yeah, I just think championship teams don't, don't overhaul in the middle of a playoff run. They fine-tune. Okay. I mean, big names have moved on the trade deadline and had big impact, but okay. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I I, I don't know about 
I think he, Eric is right in that you don't need an overhaul. Uh, but I also don't think that – I mean, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed in theory to getting a right-handed bat, Glenn. I'm just worried about what the Phillies would have to give up in order to get a bat like that. Sean in Virginia is with us. Uh, good morning, Sean. You're on 94 WIP. Hey, how you doing? Um, so I, my thoughts is I don't want them to sell the farm for anybody. This team is like a year away. We, we got to the World Series last year on a fluke run, and now it's just a goal. Like, it's always go every season, but now it's just anything less is almost a failure. Let me disagree with you on something about being a year away. It's not a young team, right? There's not – if you look look at the lineup and you look at the rotation, who's under 25 years old? They're not. They're kind of built to win now. They they are, but we lost Reese and Painter. The whole Painter injury really just threw threw a whole wrench in the gears. But um, I – my thoughts is this should have been obvious since before the All-Star break. Uh, Stott and Turner need to just be switched on defense and in the lineup, period. You want to move Stott, Stott to shortstop? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, I think you can overcorrect in some ways when a player is going poorly. Uh, look, I get it. I understand that people are frustrated with Trey Turner. I'm frustrated watching him play because you had seen him play for the Dodgers and the Nationals, and he's a wonderful player when he's right, and he hasn't been that guy all year. Uh, But I also think that you can – I mean, if he's struggling with his confidence now, Glenn, I mean, you can crush it having him change positions. Nah, and I really – I like Stott at second base. I don't want to mess with that now, particularly in the middle of the season, and and I'm not going to give up on Turner at shortstop. Uh, okay, 215-592-9494 if you want to talk about all these issues that we brought up with the Phillies, Kyle Schwarber leading off, Trey Turner slumping, what you do on the trade deadline, etc. The Eagles started camp. Mike Sielski was down there yesterday gleaning nuggets. Uh, oh, they were nuggets. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. We'll talk about this, but we can't wait for it to start. And then when it starts, it's like, Oh, yeah, nothing's happening. Yeah, we're out there for an hour. We're getting heat stroke. And, uh, oh, okay, there's Jordan Davis in shorts. Right. This guy looked good in, uh, right, walking across the field. Jalen Hurts was 10 for 16 in 7 Please, don't start me on that nonsense. Uh, But Nick blew a gasket. We're going to play that. That's fun. Uh, We're going to talk football at noon with Zach Berman and special guest Randy Moss, the Hall of Fame wide receiver, joins us at 11 o'clock. Looking forward to talking to Randy Moss for the first time. Uh, And by the way, Mike Sielski, I've got a great new show to recommend for what we're watching. Sounds good. And one more thing, I promise, as far as I know, no James Harden talk. Oh, what if we get a call about James Harden? Well, we'll take it, but, you know, I'm not... Let's hope not. Yeah, I agree. 215-592-9494. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now together again on 94 WIP. There we go. Thank I'm, you, Skip Denver. I'm yeah. in here in the studio dancing to that song, Glenn. Yeah, i got to be honest. Catchy. It's good. Yeah, I forgot to forgot to ask Dan to play it at the start of the show, though. I guess he did underneath us. But there you have it. Uh, it's You and I, it's been, what, a month since we were together. You were away, and then I'm away, and then you were uh, took some time. And so here we are. Uh, and as I said in the last segment, we kind of we hinted at it. It, mm-hmm. it is the start of training camp this last week, which everybody looks forward to. 
Nothing much ever happens. We all get there and it's like, well, that's okay because the preseason games are just a couple weeks away. Yeah. And then the preseason games come <laughs> and then it's like, oh, God, yeah, these are horrible too. When does September get here? But here we are. And, um, Mike, you were there yesterday and there was uh, – certainly I don't want to say it was drama, but it was interesting because Nick Sirianni got a little bit angry with the lads and mm-hmm. uh, we the, the sound had to be edited for FCC regulations. <laughs> but But here you go. Here's a little bit of that. All right. I did you did you witness that by the way? I did. Yes. Okay. Give me describe it to us. So, I mean, look, it's a brutally hot day. Uh the Eagles don't practice all that long generally at training camp, but this was a 70-minute practice which by Nick Sirianni standard is a long one. Oh, it's it's Vermilion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it ain't Lehigh in uh, two a days anymore. <laughs> uh but the second team I believe was out there at the time and the first practice Wednesday, I had been there too, Glenn, and that was sloppy. That was a lot of encroachment penalties and false starts and just guys getting back in the flow, or so it seemed. Well, Nick saw more of it in this practice and let the guys have it. And that was what you heard, you know, him coming at the second teamers like that. And I, I kind of thought things picked up a little bit from there. I really did. It kind of snapped everybody to attention. And I think. He's doing this because it's going to be a season-long fight, I think, for them to not be complacent, to not kind of rest on what happened last season uh, and just kind of presume that they're going to get back to the Super Bowl. I think that's exactly what it was, and I didn't see how sloppy it was. I mean, okay, I, I imagine it, you know, early whatever, nobody's – Nobody's been working at it for a while, so guys drum the ball. And mm-hmm. and to me, it was absolutely Nick Sirianni. It's like the teacher who knows the first day of class is when you have to be the toughest, right? right? And that's what Nick knows. And um, he doesn't want them to uh, – does Charlie Manuel say they're smelling themselves? A little or? bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He I want think to it smell was Charlie. Yeah. Um, and it, it reminded me a little bit of when Malcolm Jenkins – was here the year after they won the Super Bowl, and they had uh, like a big thing on the wall. And he said, "Tear that down." Yep. It's like I don't want to see that anymore. We're not. Th- this is another year, and I think Nick's whole thing. It's another year. You had a column this week, and it's been much discussed about how difficult it is for a team to get back to the Super Bowl, particularly when you lose the Super Bowl. Um, the 1970 Cowboys and the 2017 Patriots are the only teams to lose the Super Bowl, come back the next year, and win it. Uh, five others have reached the Super Bowl in consecutive seasons but lost both times. I think all of them named the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. <laughs> so your column this week, I mean, it's let's go through that a sure. little bit. My, my sense, just to tee it up and then I'll let you, let you take it, is it's got to be, first of all, to get there one time, everything has to go right. You have to stay healthy, which they did last year. Maybe that plays into mm-hmm. the fact that they run short practices. It uh, doesn't hurt if other teams have injuries. The Niners losing all those quarterbacks. Right. You need to win a couple games on luck. Uh, you need to expect the Cowboys to underwhelm. That one's, you know, I can put a check. Yeah, exactly. That, that one's a given. <laughs> and you need the drive, which I think is what Nick's talking about and maybe what you're talking about a little bit. Yeah, Look, it's really hard to get to the Super Bowl. And the sense that I'm getting from 
the Philadelphia community and Eagles fans and even some of the media who are covering the team is that, well, look, the Eagles are clearly the best team in the NFC and the conference is theirs to lose. And it's going to take something, you know, really drastic for either the 49ers or the Cowboys or someone else to unseat them. And you know me, Glenn, I, my instinct, generally speaking, is to zig when everybody else zags. Uh, And, you look at this history. Just take the last 20 years, okay? Just take the last 20 years. Only mm-hmm. one team that lost a Super Bowl came back and won it the following year. That's the New England Patriots. But only four teams in, out of those 20 that lost a Super Bowl had the same record or a better record during the regular season the following year. There's, there's going to be a drop-off in all yeah, likelihood. Yeah. And people need to be prepared for that, I think. I think most people would tell you they don't expect them to go 14-3 and three again. Mm-hmm. Right, twelve and five. Yeah, I I think here's what I think might happen. I think the Eagles will go twelve and five or eleven and six, and we will spend the entire season asking, "What is wrong with this team?" <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I I just think expectations are so high, and I do think too, to your point about what Nick Sirianni is trying to do. There's value in reminding these these guys and everybody who follows the Eagles that every NFL season really is its own unique entity. Uh, I mean, I can remember, Glenn, going way back to training camp 2005, and I can remember a national NFL expert, big-time reporter, I won't mention him, uh, coming to Eagles training camp that year to Lehigh, and it was they were coming off of the Super Bowl, lost to the Patriots, but McNabb was back, Donovan McNabb was back, and yeah, there had been upheaval during the offseason with Terrell Owens and his contract, but he was back. And this national reporter said, you know, I don't see any team in this conference touching the Eagles. If the Eagles don't get back to the Super Bowl, it will shock me. And guess what? They went 5-11 and because guys got hurt and T.O. Yeah. destroyed the locker room and everything went to pot. And I'm not suggesting that's what's going to happen this season. I'm just suggesting nobody really knows and as great as they look on paper, you don't know who's going to pop up this season and be really good. There's going to be a surprise somewhere. I agree with all of that. I also think that although I, uh, Nick Sirianni is in charge of the whole thing, you got a new defense coordinator, you got a new offensive coordinator. It's a lot of new faces. It is a new season. Nothing, nothing is is for granted. The one thing I will say, although you can you can certainly clap back on that with what you just said, which is somebody's going to emerge you don't know. When I look around the NFC, I don't see much talent. If it was the AFC, I could mm. say the Chiefs, the Bills, you know, look how much better the, the, the Dolphins look like they're on the rise. Who knows what Rodgers is going to do with the Jets. There's a lot of teams, the Bengals, if Burroughs is healthy, there's a lot of teams in the AFC that look good to me. I don't know if I think that about the NFC. but that That's fair, and I will say this, Glenn, an underrated um, step backward that one of the top teams in the NFC took was the Cowboys, not just in losing Kellen Moore, because I know that's been pointed out that Moore was a, is a really good play caller and offensive coordinator, and the Cowboys' offense was really good. It's not just that they lost Kellen Moore. It's that they replaced him with Brian Schottenheimer. Brian Schottenheimer, I, I don't know to this day how he continues to be, get jobs in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. I covered him when he was the OC of the Jets, and their offense was – far from dynamic, and the offenses he has coached throughout his NFL career have always been far from dynamic. 
uh, I think that's a big regression for the Cowboys. And uh, it is something that should give Eagles fans even more optimism than they already have. Let's say hi to Mike and Yardley. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Hey, um, yeah, you, I was going to talk about the Phils, but uh, look, you just finished talking about the Birds. And uh, I, I just don't see – I agree with you, Glenn. I don't see anybody in the in – the, NFC and the conference, they're really going to pose a big challenge the way things stand now. You know, we have four or five really bad injuries that could change. But, you know, the Cowboys don't, they don't strike me as being able to to do much more than they did last year. And I don't think they're going to be good enough. They're just not. So they, they I think we're there. They always have a lot of talent, and they always underperform. And Thank you, Jerry kinda... Jones. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's it. And Mike talked about the changes they made in coaching. They have an underwhelming head coach, and now they've they've taken their best assistant coach, the, the coordinator, the guy who called the plays, and he's gone. Uh, you know, Mike says yeah. replaced with a guy – who's not a top-tier guy, and I do think it all does trace back to the owner and general manager. Yeah, he's, he, he manages to screw it up all the time. Now, he's a good businessman. He's turned his franchise into a you know, a billion-dollar industry, but you know they, they just don't win anymore. Um, but with the Phils, I don't think that Dombrowski doesn't have to do that much. Mm. I, I really don't. You know, they're the, a top-ten team right now, as you know, sputtering on six out of eight cylinders. You know, they they just get one or you know Turner to uh, to start to hit a little better and Castellanos to get back to where he was, and all of a sudden things are different. Well, you look at at, at Stott, um, Boom, Boom, and Marsh. We are getting so much more production out of those guys than we got last year. You know, they're they're a potent lineup. They really are. The only thing that I would consider doing is is uh, maybe putting Castellanos at two and put Turner back at four. You know, just get Turner to see a little more fastballs because, my God, they throw a breaking pitch at him, and he's always swinging at it, and it's never in the strike zone. He's, his plate disciplines were just really off, completely off. Yeah, Mike, and, Mike and I it. think that's Thanks, a sign. Mike. Um, I don't know this for certain, Glenn. I haven't spoken to Trey Turner uh, in months, but to me that's a sign of how much he's pressing, the fact that he's chasing yeah. those breaking pitches as much as he is. Absolutely. And, and you saw the other night he gets angry, throws the bat down, gets thrown out of the game. It's a guy who's just he's, – he's, he's in a bad He's place. frazzled. Yeah. He's, he's lost at sea, and, and uh, he needs a slump breaker, you know? <laughs> And by he, that he mean I mean a three for four game with two home runs. Yeah, he needs. Uh, Not sure what you were in. Uh, he, he needs Crash Davis to uh, you know waterlog the field. They just need a day off, right? Yes, that's that's what he needs. Yes. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Hey, coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to talk to Randy Moss, the great uh, Hall of Fame player. Got a lot of uh, questions posed him about the Eagles and the wide receivers, and uh, we look forward to talking to you, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now. A 94 WIP, bring on the summer heat. Well, it's been nuts. Uh, Huge savings when you replace your old inefficient windows and doors with the great people at Guida Door and Window. Right now, Guida is offering the best discounts of the year with their big 40% off summer sales event on all expertly installed windows and doors. If you got drafty windows you've been meaning to replace, well, you get 40% off each window you buy. That's right, 40% off all high-performance, energy-efficient triple-pane windows. If you need new doors, 
God has got you covered there as well. 40% of all high-quality entry doors, patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Plus, you can start your project with no money out of pocket. You can pay it off interest-free for up to 12 full months. Don't let these incredible savings pass you by. Go guide it right now. Take advantage of these limited-time savings. All prior sales excluded. Offer expires July 31st. So call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A dot. Mike Sielski, Glenn Macknow. Hey, uh, Mr. LaSalle University grad. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Big Five. Uh, <laughs> and I uh, am, have been a fan of Big Five basketball for a while. We screwed up. Uh, the source of the who the person is always says, I don't want them smelling themselves. Was that John Cheney? It's John Cheney. Oh, gosh. Thanks to alert listener Joel Epstein oh, for thank reminding you, Joel. me of that. John, it was one of John's favorite sayings. You know so. what we are, Glenn? We are embryo heads. <laughs> Another favorite know, of Coach one. Cheney's oh, he's the greatest. sayings. He, he was, was the, the greatest. Best. I love that guy. Uh, let's go to Gator in Maryland. What's on your mind today? Hello. Oh, hey. Hey, hey. guys. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Big fan of the show. Thank Nick you. City. Mike, you're doing great. Thank you. Um, look, long-time, lifetime Phillies fan, adopted Orioles fan for the last eight years since I lived nearby. Um, my concern is with the Phillies locker room and the lack of leadership, um, especially given the high salary that uh this team has um gator yeah i think i think we're gonna stop you right there i mean look the team isn't hitting the way that it should be hitting guys aren't performing the way uh a number of them anyway ought to be performing or expected to perform but among kyle schwarber and bryce harper and even trey turner uh as much as he's scuffling and jt real muto you know, you've got a really strong leadership core there. I'm not sure that the, the collective personality of the team is much of an issue. Well, look what happened last year with Reese. I mean, Reese was the locker room guy. We all know that. Um, well, he was one of the locker room standing. guys. I, I, I just don't know who's standing up in the locker room. Well, those are the, those guys up. are. I, I don't know where you where you came up with this. I mean, you, you see it, and thanks for your call and call again, but you're I think you're just off base there. Um, you see it. You see yeah. these guys. You see how they are. I mean, you even see it after the game when they're doing the silly thing of throwing water on each other. It's a clubhouse that really likes each other. It is a veteran clubhouse that has leadership. Those guys you mentioned, they're there. I mean, JT Real Muto, he's, he's like a football captain, for God's sake. Yeah, and the thing, Glenn, even when they are losing games and frustrating people and how they lose those games, for instance, go back to that first game of the Orioles series last week where – Harper, you know, tries to score uh, and gets thrown out at the plate. I mean, he's he's angry. Uh, he's th- these guys are playing hard. They just don't always play particularly smart all the time. But I think they care. And I think having been around that team last year during that playoff run, uh, I thought it was a really good clubhouse. I thought that uh, amongst that core of Harper and Real Muto, and and as the caller mentioned, Hoskins. Uh, they were in really good shape, and I think adding Turner, again, as much as he's scuffling, he's he's known as a good guy. Like, it, it, he's not a prima donna or anything like that. No, this is not, a, this is not an issue. Uh, I do want to bring up one other thing, which I think is an issue, because it's hypocrisy when you see hypocrisy. And I'm mm-hmm. not talking about Josh Harris, although we could certainly get into that at any we point. Sure we sure could. Uh, you know, let's do that instead. Okay. <laughs> 
I was going to do a thing about the NFL and the hypocrisy with its gambling. Maybe we'll sneak sneak that in later. I heard on Howard's show, um, Dan Wilson played a cut. Dan, if you have it and can access it quickly, of of Josh Harris talking to, I guess it was ESPN, about a lifelong dream as a Washington resident and all of this. And I got to tell you, Mike, I get people who email me or reach me on social media who say, what do you care about what else the owner owns? Mm -hmm. He's just the owner. It doesn't matter. Don't you think he wants to win? I cannot abide having the owner of my local basketball franchise be the owner of the Washington football team as as well as the New Jersey Devils. We've been down that road for a couple of years. Mm And just talk about how Washington's my home and it's my dream and something like that. Then do me a favor. Then sell the Sixers. Because if that's not your priority, which it clearly is not now, don't waste our time and money. All right. I'm going to push back on you a little bit here. Really? Yeah, just, just a bit. And I understand where you're coming from. And I've had friends and listeners and readers um, make very much the same case that you're making. I would say this in response. Josh Harris with respect to the Sixers, has been indifferent in terms of his public enthusiasm about the Sixers, okay? I don't think anybody would deny that. He clearly, he hasn't spoken about owning the Sixers in the same way that he just spoke about owning the Washington Commanders, and I understand why that rubs people the wrong way. But in terms of the resources that he has given the Sixers to try to build a championship team, he hasn't done anything wrong there. He... I think he doesn't care in the way that an Ed Snyder cared about the Flyers or that the Phillies ownership and John Middleton care about the Phillies or Jeffrey mm-hmm. Lurie cares about the Eagles. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the Sixers are hamstrung in any way by the way he goes about things. Oh, I don't know about that. I think it mean, you're, you're saying he throws money at it, which mm-hmm. is all fine and dandy, but it, to me it means he doesn't have his, his eye on the ball. He's, he's, he's not steering the ship. So he, you, you have people running the thing or not doing a particularly good job of running it. Let, let's play. This is a cut. Dan, do you know where this – is it an ESPN cut? Okay, here you go. This, this is him yesterday. And I will be honest and tell you that my own prejudice is just – I can't stand to hear his voice. But nonetheless, <laughs> okay. let's play it. All right, I'm I'm not going to get deep into the religious aspect of it. He and I share a religion, but to me, you, nobody is put on this earth to own the Washington football team. Okay, <laughs> that's that that ain't what God's looking for you to do is make a fortune on the Washington football team. So, th- that to me is is just it grinds yeah. on me because I find it insincere. I'm not saying he's insincere about his religion, but that ain't what it's about. No, but, but just. Your wildest dream is to own the wa- is to own a football team in Washington. Then do it. Mm. Then stay out of our business. I think that first of all, I think you spread yourself too thin by doing this. And you can just say, well, he hires people, but maybe he doesn't hire the right people. Maybe he doesn't know what's going on. Maybe he's not really seeing it as he should, and it's not his priority. I like an owner like John Middleton because I think he bleeds it, and he's in the stands, and he identifies with the people, and he knows what's going on, and he gets the market. Same thing about Jeff Lurie. 
I don't feel that way about Josh Harris, and I think it matters. Yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from, and I will say that the situation I, I think that most exemplifies what you're talking about with respect to Harris and the Sixers was the Brian Colangelo situation, right? Like, you didn't know what Brian Colangelo was really all about. You kind of just went in with this nepotism hire and you allowed yourself to get bullied by the NBA uh, into hiring Jerry and Brian Colangelo. And then this, the burner scandal comes about. And throughout that whole thing, it did seem like Harris was most put out by the fact that he had to fly his helicopter in for a press conference to announce that Brian Colangelo was no longer working for the Sixers. Mm-hmm. I yeah. get all of that. Hate it. Yeah. All right. But, we got to take a break. We yeah. can, we'll argue this more later because yeah, it just it annoys me to no end. Uh, let's take a break because coming up, we are excited to talk to Randy Moss. He is in town. Actually, he's getting involved with a uh, local restaurant uh, business that it sounds pretty good. So we'll talk about that and we'll talk a little football with the Hall of Famer. 215 592 Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. Well, there you go. You know all the names in that. And, of course, Randy Moss, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, uh, up for a class in the next College Football Hall of Fame, is in town this week. He is in southwest Philly, a ribbon-cutting for a Chickaboom drive through This is 2448 Island Avenue. Uh, that starts, I think, at 2 o'clock today. We will double-check that. Uh, if you've been down to Lincoln Financial Field, you know Chickaboom's got a uh, got a concession there, and they got a very popular truck in Love Park. And with that said, let's welcome Randy Moss. How are you today? Good morning, guys. What's up? Appreciate y'all having me on. Oh, thank you. Thanks, it's a pleasure Randy. to talk to you. And before we talk football, let's talk a little bit about chicken. What got you to get involved in an upstart chicken company here in Philadelphia? Well, first and foremost, I think it was just a just time. I think this the COVID going through the pandemic just had a lot of people in question, uh, you know, about where they're going, what direction they're going. So just sitting over time talking to my wife and we thought about uh, investing in a black business. And um, first she thought about clothing, uh, baby clothing. And so anyways, the chicken um from Chickaboom appeared on my social media feed two days in a row. And I would just say, like, is, is somebody trying to tell me something? So Brittany, uh, the face of the franchise uh, of the company, reached out to me. And so when she reached out to me, it was just a, you know, a little conversation here and a conversation there. And we had to meet up. I tasted the product, and it was just love at first bite. I think that's great. Uh, and I know they've uh, it, it is growing here and. You do plan to uh, kind of help expand the footprint through the United States, including in your home state of West Virginia. Is that right? Yeah, I want my people to get ready for it. The one thing about it is is um, just being able to use my name, name and likeness, being able to le- uh, leverage, you know, my platform of just being able to help a, a, a local Philly business out. And I don't even know if they would have an opportunity like this if I wouldn't have came on, uh, wouldn't have come on board with them. So I just think that you know it's just a match made in heaven, a win-win situation. Uh, hopefully to see some fans down there, some Eagles fans, some Moss fans, the grand opening today uh, down there on Allen Avenue, and hopefully they come and, and and taste what I love. Well, Randy, congratulations and good luck with the venture. Um, let's shift gears for a second. Let's pretend that you're not a Chicken entrepreneur, let's pretend you're an NFL general manager. 
and you're Uh-oh. looking you're looking to sign a wide receiver and you have a choice between AJ Brown and Devontae Ooh. Smith. <laughs> Who you pick? Woo. Ah. I'm only I'm gonna have to uh, woof. With all the with all yeah. the 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 I, I, caveats the are both great. I think the reason why it's it's hard to answer that question. I think for a GM, the main thing you look at is youth. Are they dependable, and they and can they be accounted on? And I think that those three. I mean, all those three, both of those guys have. So it's actually hard for me to be able to pick one. But if I just had to pick one, just with his his accolades that he's he's accomplished. You know, I'm a Belinda Kauf Award winner. I've seen the things that he was able to do in college, so I'd have to go with Devontae. Interesting. Interesting. This is Randy Moss. Randy's going to be on hand today at uh, 2448 Island Avenue. It's the Chickabooms new location. He'll be uh, taking pictures, shaking hands, and uh, sharing some uh, some chicken with people. Um, talking more about um, the NFL, um and the Eagles, just so I'm not going to make you choose between those two guys. Now I'm going to kind of. I add. will. <laughs> no, listen, that was a great question, and I, and I love that it was like that was a tough answer. Um, you have with those guys, you have AJ as kind of the big physical guy, right? You have Devontae as yeah. the elusive speed guy, um, yeah. and I know how closely and what an expert you are in this league and in this position. How do these guys stack up? Because fans in this town just think. Hey, we've we've got one of the one of the best combos in the league, and I will agree with the fan base, and that's the, and the reason why is how they complement one another. You know, I've been talking over the last you know two days about the Philadelphia Eagles, their offense led by Jalen Hurts, Kelsey up front, uh, Johnson on the tackle. But I really think at the wide wide receiver position, like me, I'm a speedster, I'm a tall guy, I stretch the field. So if I was out there. Why would I want another wide receiver over there doing the same thing? So I think that the way that Devontae and AJ complement one another, big man, big, 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 what is it, huge Batman, swole Batman, skinny Batman. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Swole, so yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, I just like the way they complement one another. And the one thing that really stands out to me is, one, and, and, and this is all out of respect for one another that they have for one another, one is not going to let the other one outshine them. It's kind of like, okay, you got to make a catch. Well, I got to make a catch. So I just think that they bring something different to the table for Jalen. I think it's just as far as they have the big playability. But I think they got to have it. That third down, we need that slant. We need to be physical. Let's go AJ. When we need to electrify the crowd, let's get Devontae involved. So I just think that they both complement uh, one another very well, and they use them both in this offense. One of the things, Randy, about wide receivers and quarterbacks in the NFL is that it can often be a chicken or egg kind of question. Does the, do the wide receivers make the quarterback better or does the quarterback make certain wide receivers better? You were in situations in your career, uh, you know, we heard the clip of you and Tom Brady where, I mean, you, you put the two of you guys together and it's arguably the greatest tandem in one season of all time and maybe the greatest season any team has had. Ever, I mean, I know you guys lost the Super Bowl, but still, you were 18-1. and one. And right. your first year in the NFL was with Randall Cunningham, obviously, who had not been at the top of his game for a while and then got there with you and Chris Carter and the rest of that offense, and all of a sudden he's the NFL MVP. If you had to make a choice, is it the wide receiver helping the quarterbacks out 
more, or is it the quarterback making the wide receivers shine because he can get them the ball? Well, I'm, I've always been a team player, and I really think that if you look at some of the plays that I've made over my career, you would probably say uh, the wide receivers make it a quarterback. But I, I say it's 50-50 mm. because, I think at, I, because I think at times you've heard me say, hey, man, just throw it out there. Right. Just throw yep. it out there. Yep. And I and I think that in a quarterback situation, he's believing and trusting in me. He's taking his steps and just throwing with everything he has. So, and, you know, he's using precision. Don't get me wrong. But I think at times when I'm out there stumbling and getting jammed at the line and he's waiting on me and just holding me up and then somehow we make the third down catch. So, I don't really always say it is the wide receiver that makes the quarterback. I think at times – um, they 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 make each other look good. So I think through the course of my 14 year career, I've I've you know had some moments, but at the same time, the quarterbacks has also trusted in me, waited me out, hold on to the ball for a half a second or extra second longer, taking that hit. So like I said, we there we've been there for one another. So to answer your question, I say it's fifty fifty to me. Randy Moss is our guest. Uh, you can you can join Randy uh, for lunch today. At the new Chickaboom Drive-Through at 2448 Island Avenue, which is right across from SEPTA's Elmwood Loop Depot. I need to – I am a big fan of chicken and fried chicken. I do need to try this soon. So, Randy, when I – you know, when we, we heard you coming on, and I just kind of like, you know what, let me just Google Randy Moss, see what's going on. And what I always <laughs> see when I do it is – the next Randy Moss. Guy's coming out of the draft. He's the next Randy Moss. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the next Randy Moss. When you see that, how do you feel that so many guys are called the next Randy Moss? Because I'm not sure that any of them has actually been the next Randy Moss. I always, I've always said this, and I don't. And the reason why I don't comment and say these things because I, I do, do not want the the young or the next generation to look like I'm being biased or I'm hating or something like that. But I've been playing this this wide receiver position since I was seven years old, and I think that. When you study other guys, you study yourself, you study film, you retire. And I'm able to look at clips and really study myself now. I never did that stuff when I played. I never had time for it. So, But I think that when you look at athleticism and the things that I was able to do, I really think, and I'm being very truthful, if I find or see that wide receiver that reminds me of myself, I'll be the first one to let you all know. <laughs> it's an, it, Randy, what you said there was interesting because you mentioned watching film now and saying you didn't have time for that when you were playing. I mean, to just look at your numbers, you know, you had more than, gosh, you had more than 1,200 receiving yards every year of your career for the first six years. And then you get to New England and you catch 23 touchdowns in a season. Uh, could you have been better? Was the, Do you look back at any aspect of your career and say, gosh, if I'd only done this, if I, or if I had known then what I know now, I'd be even better than I was? I just think as I got older in my career, I just wanted to be able, because uh, there was a chance that I might be able to move inside, meaning in the slot some. So I think that earlier in my career, I didn't really work on the fast, the twitch, the muscles to be able to be a slot receiver. Uh, as as we call today, a versatile wide receiver. So I think that is one of the things that I start working on later in my career. 
Um, so I uh, just remember a play in San Francisco that Alex Smith, I think I was his fourth read, threw it to me on Monday Night Football and let me run up up the Arizona Cardinals sideline. So just a lot of things that, that, that um, I didn't do earlier in my career, and that's one thing is working on the faster twitch muscle, muscles and fibers to, to be able to be more effective in the slot. Hmm. Interesting. All right, last one for me. Uh, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up. We'll talk a little bit more about the event today. You played five games against the Eagles in your career, uh, three when you were with the Vikings, one with the Raiders, one with the Pats. Four of those games here in Philadelphia. Uh, I am pleased to say that your teams went one and four in those games. Uh, Man, but, don't rub it in. I'm <laughs> sorry. Rub you, it in. Hey, you caught 28 passes, so you were doing your part. Is there anything? <laughs> uh, and I know, listen. You played. I don't know 100 whatever games in your career. Is there anything that you remember about any of those games, maybe most especially the, the divisional round playoff game in 2004? Anything that comes back to you? No, I just remember I, – I just always remembered um, – I've always been a fan of Andy Reid's, and um, I've always liked the way he featured his running backs in the passing game. And I could just remember Westbrook just being able to just – tear us up on third down. He's one of my favorite all-time running backs. And then, if you remember the introduction of Donovan McNabb coming out holding them five fingers up, I ain't like that because the crowd used to roar. I'm going to put them five fingers down, man. Let's get ready to play some football. So, you know, just, just all the little stuff. Randy, this is, the first, the... this is the first time in Philadelphia history that someone has been annoyed by Philadelphia fans being cheering for Donovan McNabb too much. <laughs> Man, y'all, hey, I want to, hey, they ain't, they ain't have no cheering for, for, for the Vikings. No, of course but, not. But, 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 no, but in all honesty and in, in all love, man, I do respect this city. I respect the fan base because I know they they love their sports team uh, to the fullest. And that's one thing I will always respect about Philly fans. I hated playing here, but now I get a chance to, you know, put the, put the shirt and the tie on and just come out and, and just chill out. So I think today is going to be a little bit more casual for me because of the heat, but I just think that now that I'm able to retire and get away from football, meet the fans, talk football, get on radio shows, and then look at the highlights and see what I was able to do over my career. So that's what I'm doing over my last couple of years, and uh, retirement is is a pretty good life. Well, enjoy. And your retirement comes with a new career as you're helping invest in this Chickaboom uh, Chicken Company. And as we said, there's there's one at the link, so you can always have the chicken there. There's the uh, truck down at Love Park, and there's a new one opening today, 2448 Island Avenue, right across from the SEPTA Elmwood Loop Depot. And people can come and enjoy lunch and maybe a, a cool uh, soft drink with you, Randy. Y'all please, y'all please come on down, Philly man. Support this business. You will love the taste. Y'all come on down and see why I love it, man. Hope to see y'all there. Thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Randy. All right, man. Y'all take care. Have a All good right, day. Take care. And I want to thank a couple people, uh, Don Povia, who works with Randy, and our old friend Cindy Webster. Cindy's the Cindy, best. Cindy's the greatest, and Cindy helped uh, put this thing together, and I always appreciate everything Cindy does, and I appreciate her looking out for us in our show and making this happen. Um... You know what I remember about that game? That that Eagles Vikings game, that was the Freddie Mitchell I want to thank my hands game. It was. It was yeah. that playoff game where Donovan hit LJ Smith on a slant over the middle right at the goal line and LJ got popped and the ball flipped up in the air and Freddie caught it in the end zone. And that afterwards he uh he was asked about it and Freddie said I just want to thank my hands for being yeah. so great. <laughs> 
Fun so, times, man. Fun times. Uh, oh yeah. That, listen, that, that that was a great era. And it's interesting when you asked when I we asked what he remembered about the Eagles. He just he he gave a testimony to uh, Andy Reid and yep. to specifically how he used Brian Westbrook, which was which was great. It was. It was that that second game of that season, Glenn, in two thousand four, was a Monday night game against the Vikings at the Link. It was a pretty big matchup, and the Eagles won that game. To had a big catch, and I think I think Randy had a touchdown as well, but. That was kind of the first game of that season where it was like, okay, the Eagles are going to get a test here, and how's it going to go? And they ended up beating the Vikings pretty easily. So they did well over in those five games, and I, I guess it was Jim Johnson for most of those five games that uh, mm-hmm. played against them. If if you can, in five games, hold Randy Moss to 28 catches, 346 yards, and just two touchdowns, it's not bad, man. That's, that's Lito and Sheldon doing the work. That's Lito and Sheldon. That's... Brian Dawkins in the secondary. That's a pass rush. Uh, that's probably at some level the quarterbacks who Randy is playing with too. Um, you know, Dante Culpepper had a couple good years, but I was never a big fan of him. Um, I don't know. It, it just I, I didn't feel like he was um, among the really upper echelon quarterbacks. And of course, once Moss got to New England and was playing with Brady, uh, you saw you know really the full flourishing of who he could be as a receiver. It was easy. Yeah. Anyway, fun interview. Yeah, uh, great again, guy, great guy. Yeah, at least really. now. Anyway, I mean, I know he, there was a lot of controversy. Well, around I remember when, when he came up, it was like, oh, he's surly, blah 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 blah. But I, I don't know. I, I he's a young kid. He's got a lot yeah, of wealth. He's really freaking good. I mean, you're gonna, yeah. you know, it's kind of hard not to flaunt it and, and be a jerk to a certain degree. Yeah, maybe. But um, and I like, I love him as an analyst. I think he's really good. He's really TV. sharp. Yep. Yeah. All right, uh, let's talk to Roy in Levittown. Roy, what are you thinking about? So I'm just thinking about, you know, the Phillies lineup. It's just uh, it's something to look at and just like what's what's going on. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, that, All right, well, what would you do? Because Mike and I debated this at the top of the show. What are you doing at the top of the order? Oh, I'm putting Stott, number one. Okay. Okay. Trey Turner and Schwarber, they're both struggling big time. you got your leadoff hitters hitting 186. That's yeah. unheard of. Yeah, Correct. he hits some runs. Yeah, he's comfortable in that spot, but that 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 doesn't matter. You're trying to win a World Series here. Okay, but he was the same leadoff hitter when you got to the World Series last year, and he wasn't a problem in that World Series. It's certainly not any more than any of the other hitters who didn't hit against the Astros were. They win when he's at the top of the lineup. I wonder if we're just talking about like the way it looks know. here. I can't. It's not the way it looks. It's numbers are numbers, and and yes, I guess the most important number is their win loss when he bats leadoff, and I I don't have it with me, but I concede that it's good. Let me let me run by Roy that the thought that I threw out there earlier. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. How about Bryce Harper leads off for a while? See, I I agree with you on that too. I I one hundred percent. Why why not? Why not give it a shot? And if he does good, and you continue to pr- produce more. As a team, then I mean, there's nothing else you can do. You got to have Stott up higher. I know that for a fact. You can't have Turner going over five every other day. Right, Mike. I gotta say, I think Roy's the most brilliant caller we've had. <laughs> hey, well, look, he's like, a Bucks like, County listen, guy. Like, he's got to be. Like you guys said earlier, Trey Turner needs a slump buster, man. He, he needs to do something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're gonna have people referencing Thanks, that term, Glenn, the rest no. of the show. <laughs> we are. I meant that he needs, you know. He needs a, he needs he a needs good to, night at yeah. the ball. At he, the he needs to break out of this. He needs to break yeah. out of his routine yeah. and yeah. get some some fresh way of looking at his at-bats and playing and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it 
That's exactly it. For those who have not seen the movie Bull Durham, um, I'm not going to tell you, but it refers to uh, way to, to bust a slump. All right. Uh, I think we can get Nick from Collegeville before sure. the break. Hey, Nick. Gentlemen, how are we doing, guys? Doing great, great Nick. That was, that was a great interview. Um, I'm going to go back to just a couple points. Uh, first of all, like I, I understand that uh, Harris hasn't spent, you know, hasn't done anything worthwhile here in the East. But, I mean, he, he's gotten – maybe a, a decent GM. He's got a bad coach out there. Got rid of Ben Simmons. Uh, there's only, I mean, would you rather have a Jerry Jones guy who loves his team and is on the radio twice a week? It's great for radio, but like we've noticed that meddling doesn't always win. Uh, so I don't mind that, that he, whatever, I don't care. He's a business, he's a billionaire. So no, he can buy, no, like, this no, is a new no, because you're giving me like, okay, my choice is to have Josh Harris or Jerry Jones. And that there's like a whole entire spectrum of owners between that. I don't want Jerry right. Jones. I want an owner whose first priority, I want an owner who goes to bed at night thinking, how can I make okay. this team? How can I make Nick from Collegeville's team better? That's what I want. And I don't think I get that with Josh Harris. I, I would say this, though, Glenn. Sorry, Nick. I don't mean to talk Sorry. over yep. you. But there is danger in an owner that goes too far that way as well. I think as, well, as Jerry Jones. Well, or it's Ed Snyder who, you know, had the Flyers spinning their wheels for a long time. Look, he was a great owner for a long time, but they also had an approach where they went all in every year, and it kind of prevented them from winning because they went all in every year. Uh, let me clarify my statement then. I, I have I, a Dallas point. I, 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 oh, okay. I want an owner who goes to bed every night thinking, how can I make my team better, as good as it can be, for the sustainable long term? Okay. There you yeah. go. Okay. What do you got? And I think I think he can hold both of those points when he goes to bed. Like I think I know his brain. I'm not a fan of the guy, like you say, and I, I'm not just like you. But I'm not a fan. But I think he can hold those two thoughts when he goes to bed at night and wake up in the morning. But now oh, Dallas thing. Remember how so. we've said for years until we won the Super Bowl, we're never going to win a Super Bowl. Or Eagles can't win a Super Bowl. They can't. You know, they let Tampa mm-hmm. Bay beat them, it, and we finally won it. And it's like then we heard. For a long time, number one receiver is never going to win a World Series. I mean, Super Bowl. You don't have to overpay for a number one wide receiver because they don't win World well, yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah. Cooper Cup did. All, all, right, all of those At things. Point, all of those things are true until they're not true, and I tend to think that right. they're usually you win because of of many reasons, and it's not just one right. thing. Yes, I'll say this about Dallas. I think they're a little more dangerous than we like to say. I think that they have a very good defense. It probably won't allow more than 17 points a game on average. And whenever you can do that, you can get a bum quarterback like Prescott. And you oh, I don't, now, I don't think he's a bum. Well, what I'm saying, I'm just being over facetious. You can get an average quarterback to win your Super Bowl. Uh, and now that they don't hand the ball off 12 to 13 times to a washed-up running back, that offense is going to be a little more potent, in my opinion. Yeah, listen, they'll – and thank – oh, Nick, always a pleasure. So – They'll win double-digit games. They'll be good. Yeah. Um. The, you know, they they probably split with the Eagles. It's a fair way to look at it. I just think that when push comes to shove, Dallas is always – something's always going to happen there. And I just base it on the last 25 years. Yeah, and I would also base it, as we said earlier, Glenn, on who's at the top of the pyramid for them every Sunday. It's Mike McCarthy and it's Brian Schottenheimer and – if I were a Cowboys fan, I would not trust those guys to think on their feet and make the right calls in a big game. And that will lead to what we're talking about, which is the Cowboys always kind of messing up when the going gets tough. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four coming up. Don't go anywhere. 
because I am watching a compellingly great television show that was recommended to me, by the way, by our good friend Rhea Hughes. We're going to tell you all about it when we get back. And Mike is going to talk about his wife's trip to the movies this week, correct? Correct. It's, looking, this is big, baby. Big. I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to Mrs. Sealski's thoughts. <laughs> uh, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. All right. What we're watching is brought to you by Guided Door and Window. Visit them online and check them out at 1-800-GO-G-U-I-D-A.com. All right. All right, Mike Sealski, I am watching a show recommended by my pal Rhea Hughes, uh, who, like mm-hmm. me, is a fan of the British cop show. This one is Australian. It is called Deadlock. came out this summer on Amazon Prime, and it's great. Okay. L- um, ha- ha- is it L-O-C-H, Lock? Like yeah, the lake? D-E. Thank you for saying. D-E-A-D-L-O-C-H. Thank okay. you for saying that. Um, it is... Broad Church meets Only Murders in the Building, or or uh, I don't know if you watched either of those shows. I Line of Duty, which is one of the all-time great British cop shows, meets Letter Kenny, which was a ridiculous Canadian uh, sitcom. Right. Um, that was these are all hockey. shows I've recommended. Don't know if anybody's watched any of them. Okay. Have you watched any of those? No. I, I'm okay. Letter Kenny. I'm slightly familiar with. It's about hockey, okay. right? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's about a bunch of Canadian dudes to play uh, hockey. Here's the setup. Um, sleepy town of Deadlock, D-E-A-D-L-O-C-H, set in Tasmania, is rattled by a series of murders uh, of men whose bodies are found with their tongues cut out. Oh. Yeah. And the the local cop is like your basic hard-bitten policewoman. She's handling the case when pressure to solve it convinces the chief to call in uh, an outsider to oversee the investigation. A big city, if Tasmania has a big city, a uh, hard-bitten, foul-mouthed detective who who is sloppy and obnoxious uh, in a where every day wears the same Hawaiian shirt, shorts and sandals, can't bother to learn anybody's name, curses Mike. The cursing on this show is some of the most brilliant, creative cursing you it's a sailor on meth it's the great wow okay yes um so you've got your standard crime show odd couple matchup except both of them are women ah uh, which makes it way more interesting it's like tasmanian cagney and lacy <laughs> yes if they spoke like the characters in Slapshot. okay cool um and all the victims are men so ah. it's it's a good twist, and the cadavers are starting to pile up every episode. Is this a metaphor? <laughs> that all well, the victims are men, and yeah, the well, cop, well, cops are women, and the cops are women. Well, it's it's the twist on your traditional, you know, uh, your traditional show like this, and it works because the show does a great job of balancing kind of the 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 darkness of cop murder mystery show. With a very quirky humor. Okay. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't exactly make fun of murder, but it has a lot of fun with the characters investigating the murders. And there's all these loony local town folk suspects and this this culture I don't know much about. Uh, it turns out there's like Australia and then there's Tasmania, which is even weirder. Um, there's a lot of Aussie slang. Mm. I will tell you that I now know what Utes and Nangs 
and Norks are? I thought Utes were the uh, guys who were, <laughs> you know, accused of murder and my cousin Vinny. <laughs> two Utes. Yeah, two Utes. Yes, yes. Um, Fred Gwynn. Um, the the only the the only challenge to the whole thing is, it is they got like really deep accents, okay, and they talk really fast, and so you got to put on the closed captions. Oh, okay. And even putting on the closed captions, like they're going so fast, it's like it's onto the next page. Where I'm still trying to figure out the 18 curse words she put in the last thing. <laughs> a lot of use of the c. Actually, all of the c words you can think of. Wow, they're in there a lot. Okay. Um. Deadlock is it is entertaining as all hell. It is addictive. I'm five episodes in. There's eight episodes. I'm five in. I'm laughing. I'm guessing. I I love this show. Uh, I thank Rhea Hughes. It's on Amazon Prime. It is called Deadlock. If you like British cop shows or Australian cop shows, one of my favorite Australian one of my favorite cop shows ever was called Top of the Lake, which was an Australian show. Actually, it was a New Zealand show. Mm. Got to get my islands out. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you, it's, yeah. you know, that's like Gotta saying that Philadelphia right. is the same as Lower Marion. I mean, come that's on, right. Not. This one, this is Tasmanian of all things, and it's it's funny and it's a good murder mystery and it's great. I give it nine out of ten. Deadlock wow. on Amazon Prime. Yeah, that that I, is a very high recommendation. I really, I I've seen some really good shows this summer. Uh, were you here when I talked about Jury Duty? No. Oh no. my God, it's great. It's, okay. It is so funny. It's well, I don't need to talk about it again. But you look it up and you like it. Okay. I really like that. And then I also watched the the cop show, uh, third season of Homeland. Not Homeland. I'm sorry. Of Happy Valley. Mm, okay. Uh, which are three terrific shows I watched this summer. Meanwhile. Mm. This it's a an, it's a big summer yes. out at the cinema, and you are both going and reporting as we speak. So this is a secondhand report that I'm getting from my wife Kate, who two nights ago, yes, two nights ago Thursday night, uh, made off for New Jersey where her best friends from high school live, and they got together with them and her friends' daughters, and they saw Barbie, and. My wife, Kate, came back with a glowing report, Glenn. She, <laughs> she loved it. She said it was smart and funny and accessible yeah. to just about any audience. You don't have to be a woman or a girl to appreciate and enjoy Barbie. Uh, it has Margot Robbie, of course, in it, who I will watch in anything, sure. not just because she's stunningly beautiful, but because she is a terrific actress. No, she's terrific. She's great. She's great. Like, burst on the scene in The Wolf of excuse me, The Wolf of Wall Street 10 or 11 years ago and has been awesome in everything she's done since. So from Kate Sealski comes a very high recommendation for Barbie. And I have already set plans for this coming Thursday with one of my best friends to go see Oppenheimer, yeah. which I cannot wait to see. Uh, get that. The reviews are so, so good. Ray went and saw it. I talked to Ray Dinger the other day. He went and saw it and thought it was terrific. I am a huge Christopher Nolan fan. I think for all the billions of dollars uh, and kind of pop culture resonance that the Marvel Universe has, I don't think there's anything better from a superhero standpoint than the Dark Knight trilogy, which Christopher Nolan did. He's done The Prestige. He's done Dunkirk. He has just made great movie after great movie, and I cannot wait to see Oppenheimer. It is apparently three hours long, and you better buckle up for that. But as you said, Glenn, it's just getting incredible, incredible reviews. Yeah, what's funny is Ray, Ray says, I've never liked Christopher Nolan, but I love this movie. 
That's interesting. The one so thing, if you love Christopher Nolan, you're two steps ahead of that. The, the one issue I have with the movies that Nolan makes is that they can be, you really have to pay attention, not just for the way he tells a story. Yeah, they're but pretty be, dense. Yeah, but, be, but also because of the sound mixing, like it can be hard to pick up That's the dialogue. part he doesn't like. Yeah. That's so funny. That's what Ray said, and he said there is some of that here. Okay. He okay. said the soundtrack is like unbearable at times. You want to hear the people talking, but still, he really liked it. I'm... Uh, we will definitely put that on the agenda for next Saturday. I can't wait to hear it. I'm not going to get to it this week, but I certainly want to watch it. I got one question. Yeah. When your wife went to Barbie, and you said she went with, with friends, mm-hmm. pretty in pink, everybody? Oh, that she, yeah, she wore pink. Yeah, she did, and, and they all did apparently. And this is the thing, right? This is the kind of participatory aspect that. of the yeah. movies. You, I you think dress, it's great. You know, it's, you, you dress like the characters, and yes, she did. She went all out for it, and God bless her for doing it. All right, so we get a positive on Barbie. Uh, we get Mike's anticipation of Oppenheimer, and I'm telling people, if you get Amazon Prime, do yourself a favor and start watching the show Deadlock because it's, it's terrific. So cool. here we go. All right. All right, let's get Drew. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hello, Drew. Hey guys, how are you? Hi, Drew. Great. Hey, um, yeah. So we've got a few things, uh, but uh, with the fills and then Josh Harris. But so with the fills, Trey Turner. The lineup discussion is very interesting. It's obviously important, but it, there's a double-edged sword here that I don't think people are really totally thinking about, which is the team has trouble with running and scoring runners in scoring position, right? Correct. Correct. So first inning guys, yesterday would attest right to that. Yeah, so the the two guys that are in focus, you know, for me, you know, consensus wise, is Schwarber and Turner for their low batting averages, low on base percentages, and why are they at the top of the lineup? Would it be, would it really be better to swap them out with the guys who with the few guys who actually are hitting with runners on, so that they'll be on base when Schwarber and Turner come up and strike out? Would that be better? That's a good question. Um... Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm not sure it would be. Look, Drew, I'm not. I'm generally somebody who. I'm not a big believer in change for change's sake, or that change is necessarily better. Uh, and I, I do wonder if taking shorter Schwarber out of the leadoff spot does have a ripple effect. Uh, with respect to Turner, I don't have as much of an issue dropping him in the lineup because I do think it would take some pressure off of him. And whereas you know we've explored this concept of batting Bryce Harper leadoff. I would be hesitant only because you've already asked Harper to start playing an uncomfortable defensive position at first base, learn it, and be able to play it. And now you're asking him, hey, Bryce, you know, you may be more comfortable hitting third or fourth, but now we're going to have you lead off, too. You're asking an awful lot of him. Glenn, I don't know how you feel about Drew's point, but um, I would be a little more hesitant in shaking things up as much as we're talking about. Yeah, I I agree. I just I want Schwarber out of the top. Drew, what do you got? What do you got on Josh Harris? So so honestly, I, I am more sick and tired of hearing about and frustrated listening to all the whining and crying. More so than Trey Turner's performance, I am much more sick of hearing about Josh Harris and hearing about the new arena. And you know, it's I don't. You, you were talking about how you want an owner who wakes up every day thinking about how to make the team better. No, it's not that. I want an owner who hires the right GM, and that guy or girl does that every day. I don't care what Josh Harris does. I don't care how many teams he owns. 
He needs to hire the right GM okay. to run the All right. Well, That's I'm it. not sure we disagree as much as you think. So do you think that Josh Harris has the right general manager in place? No, I don't, and and he hasn't, okay. and so that. And he should wake my, up that, this that, morning that, and think about yeah. improving it by changing the GM. Okay, well, that, that's it. It's a more focused okay. thought process there, and so we we would agree on that. There you have. And uh, I and got my a last thing. Go well, ahead. Can I say last one, thing? Quick, one quick yeah. thing. The new arena. Can can everyone just stop all the know-it-alls? I mean, it could. This can be a crown jewel asset in the middle of the city. It, it is that way in a lot of other cities, or maybe not a lot, but several cities that I can think of, and just. No one's flocking to that area of Philadelphia and bringing business there that's going to be driven away. Yeah, no and I don't think that – and thanks, Drew. I appreciate it. Listen, I'm at this point undecided on the arena. Um, I have a lot of instincts that say this is going to be a very expensive boondoggle that's not going to be the freebie that they tell you it's going to be. I come down exactly the same way, Glenn. I'm, okay. I'm skeptical and cynical about it, but I am open to the possibility that it could work. I, right. I, you know, I'm not a hard no. Right. Right. Okay. I'm in the same place. And by the way, we have invited David Edelman on the show repeatedly, and he's told us repeatedly he's coming on, and as of yet, he is not. But he is invited to discuss it. We would love to have that opportunity. Step into the arena, David. Yes, indeed. Uh, literally. Um, I don't – anyway, so we'll we'll talk about that more. Yeah. But I'm, I I got very mixed feelings on the arena. So. Yeah, I'm the same way. And we're and by the way, we're happy to talk about it. Coming up, we're going to do our segment with the Cooper Doc um, – Everybody knows what happened earlier this week. LeBron James' son, Bronny, was working out and suffered cardiac arrest. We're going to talk to the team doctor about how does that happen with a very fit teenager. And we'll continue to take your calls. 215-592-9494 at noon. Zach Berman from The Athletic Talks Eagles training camp with us. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. This is when we get to talk to our pal, Dr. David Gelb from Cooper Bone and Joint. Good morning, Doc. How are you today? Morning, guys. How are you doing today? Hi, Dr. We're, Gelb. We are good. So um, the other day, as everybody knows, LeBron James' son, Bronny, who's a freshman at USC, suffered a sudden cardiac arrest while working out on campus. Um, he, is, he, he was taken to the hospital. He he's, has since been discharged and is back home. Um, obviously, Dr. Gelt, it is a it is a shocking and scary thing when when a young person, a young athlete, falls to the ground due to sure. a sudden cardiac arrest. Um, what causes this in a you know fit, seemingly very healthy young person? Yeah, so it could be a, a myriad of things, you know. And obviously, he's probably going to get the full workup. The fact that you know he's he's home now is, is fantastic, and you know, kudos to the, the medical team that. You know, if he had to do some CPR or use an AED to shock him back, uh, that is back. But uh, it could be uh, an arrhythmia. It could be, uh, you know, an issue with um, the arteries that were just kinked and stuff like that. Sometimes you can have an enlarged heart, what they call an athlete's heart. Um, and what we do when we do pre-participation exams, especially people before they start participating in sports and athletics, even from the high school level up, we ask certain questions if there's any past medical history of sudden you know, cardiac death and or people that have died at a young age of a heart attack in their family. And then you have to delve into it a little bit deeper. Um, I think from reading up on him, uh, he did have a full gamut of tests beforehand. He had an EKG, he had an echo, which is basically like an ultrasound of the heart. And he got a cl full clearance there. I mean, I don't know if he has any family history of cardiac issues, but obviously he's going to be getting a, a full workup just to make sure he can continue to play and be safe. 
Dr. Gelt, you anticipated my question, which is, is there any way to know that an athlete, regardless of his or her age, might be susceptible to something like this? Yeah, I mean, we do have some clues. Uh, sometimes uh, people that are uh, a lot taller, you can have a thing called Marfan's uh, syndrome, Marfan's mm-hmm. disease, or sometimes they can have some genetic predisposition. Uh, of it. Obviously, the biggest thing is a family history, if they have any other problems with their first-degree relatives in particular. Um, and sometimes it could just be a fluke issue, and we just don't know, and we can't test it until something happens. Um, and it, unfortunately, it can happen like that. It's a little different. People were asking me about, you know, Demar Hamlin. It's different from that. That was more of like a fluke issue where the ball hit him right in the chest, or he got hit right in the chest at a specific moment, and it sort of stopped the heart. But his heart itself was fine. It just happened that way from that uh, what they call commotion quarters. So this is not what he has. I remember back when I was a kid, there was a great, there was a woman's volleyball player named Flo Hyman who was what, six foot five or something who I believe went up to spike a ball and, and came down and she had died of Marfan syndrome. Um, you mentioned DeMar Hamlin who had, who had myocarditis, which is he, he, he got hit. Quartus. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah excuse yep. me. I'm going to say it wrong. I apologize. He got, he got hit exactly the wrong place, the wrong time. And in this town, of course, a lot of people recall Hank Gathers, the great player Correct. of yeah. Marymount, who who died of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and I know we're getting into the medical weeds here, but that's an entirely different situation, correct? Yeah, we see that sometimes, even with athletics, it's like an enlarged heart or it's a thickened uh, wall of the muscle, and it doesn't pump as well, and it can sometimes cause arrhythmias and uh, can cause death. That's something we're really trying to avoid. We see that a lot, especially even with basketball players, um, uh, taller people, um, that sometimes could be involved with that, so... That's definitely something we have to look out for. Um, and hopefully everything goes well with him and he can continue playing, but it can be an issue where he may have to uh, think about, you know, if his future is in basketball. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Gett, last one from me. Uh, there's been kind of some veiled speculation online, and there's often a lot of veiled speculation online, <laughs> that this would be somehow tied to Bronny James getting vaccinated. There's no connection there, is there? No, not at all. Okay. That's uh, misinformation. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think, everyone know, I just think... get vaccinated, please. Uh, yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, we we both appreciate that, and I think part of that is because there's like a recency bias in this thing, which mm-hmm. is people hear about a couple of cases of this with with Hamlin and and this one, and they like, oh my god, this is like this this <clears throat> happening. This didn't happen. But I went back and looked, and like this has occurred. It's unusual. It's always been unusual, but it's not like this. It's not like there's an increase in the number of cases in this thing in the last 10 years. It's yeah. been going on for a long time. Yeah, it's it's not common, but it's not uncommon. I mean, it is out there, and we do see it. And that's one of the reasons why we have to, you know, make sure we get a good history for pre-participation exams and make sure they're safe to play. Amen. Dr. David Gelt, it's always a pleasure. So I did uh, – I know you guys are talking. I did see Oppenheimer a couple of days ago. Oh, okay. See, this is why um, the doc's the greatest. This is he, it, man. He always has something to add. Yep. Um, what you think? Ray, Ray reviews. I definitely agree with Ray. I think it was a, it's a must see. Um, the acting was. I think Robert Downey Jr. He's he's such a fantastic actor. I I think he will get the Oscar from from my standpoint. But mm-hmm. wow. Um, it was interesting because I guess Nolan. Uh, I didn't know about this, but he puts a lot of Easter eggs in his movies. Um, you know, you know, we have to look at it closely. And my brother-in-law was mentioning. I'm not gonna give it away, but. Uh, you know, everybody knows the story, but they were testing the bomb, and they said, you know, minute 58 until the bomb goes off um, for the testing. That was actually a minute 58 into the movie. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
But there's go. a lot of other nuances. I don't know them, but if you look up and read up on it. Um, but I definitely agree. Yeah. Great movie. Right. Awesome. Hey, I'm Doc. looking forward to seeing it, Doc. Thanks a Thanks. ton. Always a pleasure. All right, guys. Have a good one. All right. Stay cool out there. There you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of the my favorite things about watching a Nolan movie is you go back and watch it again and again, and you pick up on all those subtle things that, that Dr. Gelt was mentioning that you didn't pick up on the first time. I admire that. So here's here's what I really admire, and I guess, and I'll put Barbie in this too. I am just delighted at the opportunity to go to a movie theater and see a movie which is n- not a Marvel movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was reading something about this, Glenn, the other day about the kinds of movies that used to get made that don't get made anymore. And it feels like so many media outlets, whether you're talking about movies or TV shows, and this is you know, more true in movies, want to just be able to rely on the old for successful, uh, to be successful, a sequel, a comic book, mm-hmm. and the idea, yeah, yeah, and the idea of taking on an original idea. Or White take, men can't. I'm sorry to interrupt you. White men can't jump. Like, yeah, I didn't need a remake of that. Exactly, exactly. And the idea of turning a three-hour movie uh, out based on the guy who basically built the atomic bomb, like that's a bold vision if you're an artist. And people are responding to it. People want that kind of content. They want compelling story, compelling storytelling. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really so. looking forward to it. I really I hope so. I hope I listen. I hope it does so well at the box office that they have to consider doing real dramas with big casts and, you know, plot twists and it treats you like an adult. Um, not that, listen, I don't have anything against Marvel movies. I'm just kind of weary of it. I don't mm-hmm. need it. The two kinds of movies that it seems to me they make anymore are those Marvel movies, superhero movies, and incredibly artsy, fartsy yes. movies that yes. are going to win the Oscars. And, you know, the, the Color of Water, which is my most hated movie of all time. Because it was, <laughs> oh, God, I She falls in it. love with a fish man. <laughs> falls in love with a fish. Fish. The woman's having sex with the fish, and it wins the Oscars. What are you kidding me? Oh, uh, man. Imagine, anyway. imagine the creature from the Black Lagoon yeah. crossed with, you know, a romantic comedy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I forgot the comedy, too. Um, and so I like that, and I even like that Barbie. You know, a fun, frothy movie, although, again, as your wife said, there's like there's a message there. There's, it plays on another level. So yeah, I'm, I'm, and she said it was smart and funny, and so, yeah, let, let's have more of these movies. There's a reason Top Gun Maverick you know, blew the doors off of the box office last year. And it's not just because it was a sequel. It's because it took something that was familiar and time-honored and put a new spin on it, and people responded to it. And I, I hope we see more of that. There you go. 215-592-9494. Come up, we'll talk to Zach Berman of The Athletic about the Eagles. Mike and Glenn on 94 WIP. 94 WIP. Mike Sealski and Glenn Macnow here with you for another hour. And we're going to start that hour by chatting with a good friend of mine, former colleague of mine, former co-worker, uh, one of the people who, when I want insight into the Eagles and I can't get it myself because I'm not there, I turn to, and that gentleman covers the Eagles for the Athletic and is Zach Berman. Let me uh, call him up as I am want to do. Hi, Zach. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being on with us. We appreciate it very much. So you've been there the first couple of days of training camp, that availability has been open. You were there Wednesday. You were there Friday. Uh, let's start generally. What stood out to you, if anything? Was there anything that 
you were surprised to see coming into the opening training camp? And I know it's only been two days, and I know we only get about an hour to an hour and a half to see these guys, but what stood out? Well, the first thing I would say is how healthy they are. And I, I, I know you probably have listeners who are knocking on wood when I say that, but I've I've been there for the start of camp when there are eight, nine, ten players who are still recovering from injuries the previous season or from the off season. And the Eagles are remarkably healthy. They didn't they did not have a single player on the PUP list. Uh, they they had, they have Devin Allen on the non football injury list that that occurred when he was uh, running. They they have a few players who are limited, Derek Barnett and, and, and Avante Maddox. But if you just think back to when the Eagles were last coming off the Super Bowl and they had that condensed offseason, Carson Wentz was coming off a major injury. Jason Peters, Jordan Hicks, you guys know the whole list. Mm-hmm. And, and to compare that to what the Eagles have now, it's remarkable to be this healthy uh, given kind of their, their history going into camp. Well, love hearing that. Um, Zach, yeah, we played earlier in the show the clip of uh, Nick kind of, you know, getting angry at the guys yesterday during those ball security drills. Um, and we, we suggested, and I kind of want to run it by you, that I, I don't know who was not holding the ball properly, who was fumbling, what was going on. But Nick's big job this uh, offseason, preseason training camp is to basically send the message, don't be complacent. Mm-hmm. Is that what he was doing yesterday? And having been around the team for a while, twenty, you know, seventeen and twenty eighteen, how much of a challenge is that? Well, yes, I I would say that's that's a big part of of what he was doing. Now, Nick has an obsession uh, on details, whether it is practice, whether it's preparing for the Super Bowl, whether you're debating with him about the Fab Five, right? I, I mean, he is uh, <laughs> he it, it's just kind of his his personality, it's, it, it, but. As far as what he's doing this camp, I, I do think it's it's deliberate for the reason that you said. Th- this notion of the Super Bowl hangover, uh, there there's no denying it. It's as Mike wrote in his column. It's it's the elephant at the table, and what Nick can do to combat that is focus on the little things. Is emphasize those little things because uh, if he does that, it 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 drives that point home of not being complacent and as as far as as uh, what was the second part of the question? How how rare it is? No, the, the second part of the question oh. is oh. kind of you know that being the that being the big challenge this year. How do you how do you get the boys to focus? Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it, it's partly what he's doing, and it's just it's the constant messaging that nothing that they did last year is going to win them a game this year, uh, and it's easy to say that. It's harder to apply. The numbers are what they are now. A, a big reason why teams don't get back the following year after losing the Super Bowl is it's really hard to make the Super Bowl, right? That's, 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 that's fairly obvious. But when the Eagles looked into the data, one thing that they saw was offensive regression and injuries to the quarterback, injuries to the offensive line. This is my 12th year covering the team. The two years that were really bad here was when the offensive line was completely beat up. Uh, so – that that goes into the health, but in terms of the messaging, it's very much what what Nick's doing. Don't get complacent. Don't think you can just show up and turn it on. Don't think this is just fast forwarding to January and February and seeing what you do in the postseason. We're talking with Zach Berman from the Athletic, Eagles beat reporter extraordinaire. Uh, Zach, 
let, let's broaden the messaging concept to include Sean Desai, the new defensive coordinator. He spoke to us yesterday morning before practice. And I was really interested in his comments about Jordan Davis. He was asked about Davis uh, and the progress that he's made. And, and, of course, it comes with the caveats of, you know, we haven't seen much of him yet. And, you know, there really hasn't been an opportunity to kind of test him in any sort of real way on the field. But one of the things he was asked about was uh, Davis's ability as a pass rusher. And the first thing that Sean Desai said was, well, we have a lot of guys on the defensive line who are good pass rushers, which to me was a bit of a tell. And then he went on to say, you know, Jordan has all these incredible physical attributes and we're working on the technique and fundamentals. That to me, maybe I'm misreading this, it wasn't the most encouraging answer I, I could have heard about Jordan Davis and his progress. It, was, it basically sounded like to me, this kid has all the tools. We're still waiting f- for him to understand he's got to use them to the best of his ability and put them together. How did you read what Desai said about Jordan Davis? Because there is a lot of a lot riding on Davis this year. Yeah, so I interpreted it as Sean Desai doesn't want to say anything right now okay. about this team and, and about these players in particular. That uh, at this juncture in camp, he's staying very general. And he's, he's just kind of uh, repeating the same message, if you will. Now, your point about Davis is well-founded because the Eagles need to see Jordan Davis affect the quarterback. They didn't see it much at Georgia, and it is the big projection here. And that pick is is not a great pick if Jordan Davis doesn't affect the uh, quarterback. If all he is is this big run stuffer, that's probably not worth, what, the number 14 pick in the draft. Um, but the Eagles do believe he has the tools to do it. And to say he's a rare player, you literally wouldn't be able to find someone that big, that athletic in the history of, of, of the NFL Combine. So I, I think that – uh, it remains to be seen, but it is the big question with Jordan Davis. Can he affect the quarterback? It was the big question on draft night, and it's the big question in his second training camp. All right, speaking of guys who don't want to say anything, uh, Jalen Hurts uh, spoke the other day and um, didn't – and I don't want to rip the guy because I think I think he gets it, and when I say he doesn't want to say anything, I think he doesn't want to say anything that's going to backfire. Part of that was, interestingly, he said he chose not to be on that show quarterback uh, that I just watched, mm-hmm. a lot of people watched, um, on Amazon. Um, if, if you would, kind of your take on his message there and his thought process there. Yeah, that was interesting. And a part of it, if you, if you look at it last year, the narrative around Jalen Hurts is different than it is this year, right? Uh, and he declined it last year, and he declined it this year. He said he didn't think the time was appropriate a year ago. He did not rule out doing something like that in the future, and I, I do think the the Jalen Hurts brand, if you'll call it that, is going to continue to explode. He'll have uh, no shortage of opportunities um, for for that, that, that type of material. But, but he didn't think the time was right then. And he didn't think the time was right now. And I, I suppose I can understand it uh, as a reporter who covers Jalen. I, I, I would have loved to see more behind the scenes there. Uh, but I think it, it, it was more uh, just about waiting for the time to be right for him. Zach, one of the big discussion topics, certainly on the show today, and that's been going on you know, even before training camp began, was, okay, the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. Who's going to challenge them? Who could beat them? And 
the two teams that, that come to mind for most people, I think, are the 49ers and the Cowboys. Size up the conference for us uh, from your perspective. Are the Eagles the clear favorite? If there's a team out there uh, that nobody's talking about or thinking of at this moment that might sneak up on the rest of the conference, who is that team? Kind of give us your broad take on um, the entire NFC. Yeah, well, this is a bad conference. I, I, I would start <laughs> there. If the Eagles played in the AFC, we could be talking about four or five teams right now. And in the NFC, you'd have a hard time really trying to find, you know, that, that fourth, fifth team. Uh, I do think the Eagles are the, are the best team in the conference. I, I don't think it's by a significant margin. San Francisco is really talented. They're well-coached. And if they get the same quarterback play this season that Brock Purdy gave them last year when he took over, the rest of that roster is, is so good. And by the way, they added, you know, the Eagles' best interior pass rusher from last year, right? Yep. Uh, and then Dallas is also uh, a loaded team, in, in my opinion. I, I, I know there's Eagles fans who like to pick apart the Cowboys. That, that's a roster that would be the envy of a lot of teams in the league. Um, they do have some depth issues on the offensive line, but they have a high-level quarterback. They have high-level playmakers. They have perhaps the best pass rusher in the NFL. Um, so there's a lot of variables there that you say that's a team that, 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 could, that could give a lot of teams a problem, Eagles included. But I, I think the Eagles are the best. It's a matter of who stays healthy. And, and to the part of the question, who can sneak up, there's not really that team that jumps out. I, I, I mean, there are – Teams like, say, Detroit and Carolina that uh, have, have interesting talent. In Carolina's case, if Bryce Young steps in right away. In Detroit's case, if they continue on the trajectory they were last year. But I don't see a team in the NFC who I say they're up there with Dallas, San Francisco, and the Eagle uh, just going into the season. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. There probably will be a surprise team. I've been here in Detroit for 25 years, and I know every year is different, and every administration is different, and so on. But I just it's, it's hard for me to buy it. Um, interesting. Speaking of Detroit, there was an interesting conversation. Um, Darius Slay was asked about uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but kind of the Eagles' decision to bring in Matt Patricia, who he had a falling out with when he was with the Lions. Uh, I don't know if you were there for that, but if you can yep. kind of sum up that relationship, what that's all about now. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's history between the two. Darius Slay uh, was not a fan of Matt Patricia when he left, and he's not been shy about pointing that out during his time with the Eagles. And then the Eagles, of course, had Patricia as a senior defensive advisor in this offseason. And, and Slay said yesterday that the Eagles approached him before they hired Patricia to make sure it was okay. Or to, or to make sure he didn't have an objection with it. He said they have to do what they want to do to make it uh, a, a good organization, right? Uh, you know, he's, he's not going to get in the way of that. He said the two have spoken, and they've cleared the air, if you will, um, that Patricia's here to make Slay a better player. Slay uh, understands Patricia's trying to become a better coach. So he said all the right things. And, and, and Slay's an 11-year veteran. You know, I, I think he understands how this stuff goes. You're, you're always curious to see how this dynamic plays out. I am still kind of learning more about Patricia's role here. My guess is, is, is it's more working with the coaches, more working with the scheme uh, and the game prep than maybe like specifics with players. So uh, he, he's, he's not the one who is 
Slay's position coach, if, if you will. But Slay did say they communicate every day. Um, Slay did his, his, his best to extinguish that controversy yesterday, but uh, it's, it's something we'll obviously monitor in the coming weeks and months. Last one here, Zach, and then we'll let you go. What's your biggest concern about this team at this point? Well, they were so I, – I go back to the first question from, from uh, this call. They were so healthy last year, remarkably healthy. They had 22 of 22 players in the Super Bowl. Uh, healthy for, I'm sorry, 22 of 22 starters healthy for the Super Bowl. That's unheard of. And Howie Roseman would, would tell you it would be naive – to expect the same thing to happen this year. So their depth is going to be tested in ways that it wasn't a year ago. And there are positions where you say, oh, they're fine. And then there are positions where you say, well, and, and this is obvious. If you lose A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith, the wide receiver spot looks a lot different. Um, I know they added Dennis Kelly last week, but if you, if you lose Jordan Mahalata, uh, the offensive line looks different. And that's a problem with most contending teams in the NFL. But the Eagles weren't tested in that way a year ago. And I think that would be the biggest concern, is that everything looked good last year because everyone was healthy. But I, I keep reiterating it. The years when they haven't met the expectations, it's been because injuries have hit them, and it's really tested that depth chart. Uh, and I think if, if, if you're looking for anything, it's, it's that they can do all they want with sports science, with practice time, and they're very well-intentioned there and well-reasoned there. But if a player falls the wrong way, if someone falls on his knee, that's, that, that changes everything. And, and yeah. so I, I, I think whether the injury luck can continue would be my biggest concern with this team. Hey, that's why they do short practices and all that. Nobody plays in preseason games, which makes it less fun to cover, but probably more fun to cover at the end of the year. Is that That's fit? all I got. Thank you. <laughs> Zach, <laughs> go ahead, Zach. No, you're absolutely right. I, I would tell fans, too, what Glenn just said, that uh, don't expect these guys – like, don't expect to see them in the preseason. The Eagles have joint practices with Cleveland, joint practices with Indianapolis, and they will treat those games – oh, I'm sorry, those practices essentially like the second and third preseason game. That's the way Nick's done it the past two years. I would expect that to be no different this, uh, this summer. Zach Berman from The Athletic, who, of course, is the author of the definitive book about the Eagles' 2017-2018 Super Bowl season, Underdogs. Go get it. If you haven't already, I don't know why you wouldn't have it. Zach, you're working on another book. Is that right? I am. Um, I'm, 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 I'm waiting for the publisher to kind of share that information, but it's, it's Eagles-related, and it'll be coming out uh, the football season, of 20, the 2024 football season. So just in time for that. Well, we broke, some, we broke some news here on the, uh, on the show with you. Sorry about that. Uh, thanks, Zach. Really appreciate you taking the time. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Take, take care. See you there. All right. Zach Berman from The Athletic, um, always delivering some really good insight, Glenn. And um, he's pretty optimistic. Um, you know, Zach's generally a realist, but, you know, I, I came away from that, from that call with him feeling like, okay, you know, he really thinks the Eagles are – the favorites, and, and by a fairly substantial margin. So here's, here's what it comes down to, okay? I think everybody agrees that they have, as we sit here in July, the best roster in the NFC, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, without question. Okay. Uh, they have a, a very good head coach. Correct. Okay. So here's the, the questions. The questions are, 
can they stay healthy like they did last year? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the questions are, um, will you get one more? And by the way, you had a terrific column earlier this week on the core for the four veterans who've been here for a decade or longer, which is really hard to do in the NFL. Very rare. Which is Kelsey Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, and uh, Brandon Graham. Brandon Graham. Yeah, excuse me, and Brandon Graham. Um, of those four, I think the one that I, I, that's the most certain to have a very good year is Lane Johnson. I think Lane's got a couple more productive years left, assuming, again, that he stays injury-free. Are you going to get another great year out of Kelsey? Mm, good question. I don't know. Yeah. You know, you have to, especially now that you, you have a new left guard, a right guard, excuse me, you're going to have to get another good right. year out of Kelsey. Are you going to have to rely on Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox because other younger players haven't stepped in and stepped up? Right. Those second-year players have to really start producing. See what you get at your rookie class. But, yeah, last year's rookie class you didn't get a lot out of. Um, I, I agree with that. Um what are the other big questions? I mean, I think well, I think you have two new coordinators in Brian Johnson and Sean yeah. Desai. Right, right, right. And there could be some growing pains there. Uh, and yeah, look, I think injuries is is the big thing. I really do. And there's always the possibility that a team that nobody's talking about, a la the 1999 St. Louis Rams or somebody <laughs> like that, just kind of steps up and you know reveals something that nobody knew they had. Yeah. Yep. You know. Um, you always have to be wary of that. Each season is its own season. Right. Um, well, look, we can keep kicking these topics and more around. We've been talking Phillies. We've been talking Eagles. Uh, I think Glenn and I are going to kick around a particularly uh, amazing performance by an athlete uh, that's probably not only now starting to get the attention that it probably deserves. Uh, and we will, of course, take your calls at 215-592-9494. He is Glenn Macnow. I am Mike Sealski. We are on WIP. Oh. oh, he got another one. Get going. Otani has done it again. Santa Maria. Complete game shutout. Check. Two homers in the nightcap. Check. Glenn Mack now, are we witnessing the prime career of the greatest baseball player of all time in Shohei Otani? We may be. Um, and, 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 you know, particularly in baseball, nobody ever says that, right? It always has to be that the guys before are better. Right. And, and and maybe Babe Ruth was – Babe Ruth hit as many home runs as, like, entire teams back in his day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I can say that. But I can say of our lifetime, uh, mine being longer than yours, he's, I, I think he is the, the, the greatest. Um, so what he did the other day was, was incredible. He, th- he threw <laughs> – he threw a one-hit shutout in the first game of a doubleheader, which, by the way, was the first shot of his career. But then in the back in the second game, he hit two home runs. Nobody has ever done that. I was reminded, by the way, old timers will. Uh, and this I, is I know where you're going to go. Yeah, yeah, before my time. But uh, Rick Wise yep. with the Phillies. Yep. Once did all that in a game. Two home runs and a no hitter. In the yeah. same game. The, yes. great, the greatest game of baseball probably ever played. Ever played by anybody. Um, but Rick Wise was a very good pitcher for a very long time. But he, Otani is a Hall of Fame player. It is astounding to see. And um, it looks like the Angels have decided they're going to take him off the trade market. So he becomes a free agent at the end of this season. Yep. 
the belief has always been that the Angels are not going to be able to resign him and that he's not particularly eager in staying there. Um, but they've taken him off the market, which I think they have to do, right? You don't want to be the guy who trades Shohei Otani. No, you've and you're in the wild card race. Like yeah, you're in been the playoff games. race. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to go for it. You're a big market team. Uh, you know, the Angels aren't the Dodgers, and in some ways the Angels are gosh, that ballpark is one of the worst atmospheres in baseball. But yeah. they're still in the LA market. They still have Otani and Mike Trout, and they should be going for it. Um and, you know, I wonder, Glenn, I know it's kind of taken for granted that he's not going to re-sign with them, but they're the only team he's ever known. And I wonder how comfortable he is there. Like, they've figured it out with him. So does he want to take the chance that, however slim it might be, that he has a Trey Turner reaction to going somewhere else? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know what he, if, what he's motivated by, right? right? I don't know if he's just going to go for the highest offer he can get. I don't know who his agent is. If it's Scott Boris, I'm not sure about that. I don't know if it's like he wants to live in a particular place. I read a piece a week or two ago that he really loves Seattle, which has a very large um, Japanese community. So maybe he'd be comfortable in Seattle. I don't know if the Mariners are in any position to afford to sign him. No. Um, I don't know. Uh, I <laughs> I do know that the Phillies aren't going to get him. No, which is something no. that <laughs> you hear people, people ask. Like, oh, yeah. Good old Tani. Yeah, well, they're going to yeah. sign everybody. They're going to trade for and sign everybody. They're going to get yeah, Otani. They're going to get happen. Juan Soto. They're going to resurrect yeah. Ted Williams and put him in left or right field. Right, right. You know. this is frozen head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so here's the shame of it, and I'm not the first to say this. I almost never get to see Shohei Otani yep. play a game. Yep. Right. I've been. I've been. Doing a lot of watching him on morning highlights on MLB Network, mm-hmm. right? They put the highlights of the last game, and I always make sure, like, I, I watch them when he does something well. Um, but other than that, because we're on the East Coast, because they're not a good team, um, I, I don't think I've seen him play 10, you know, like, watched a whole game of him play 10 times in his career. And it's a shame. I hope he goes somewhere where we can watch him. Yeah, I, I do too, and and some of that is just the nature of the way baseball is no longer at the top of the ladder uh, in American professional sports, right? You don't have the NBC game of the week on Saturday yeah, that so everybody's watching, right? Or you know, Sunday night baseball isn't quite what it used to be because now there's Sunday night football, and that's the yeah, you know, the the giant that eats everything. Uh, and it's a shame that we can't see him and don't see him more because think of this, Glenn. Right now, Shohei Otani leads the American League in triples with seven. Home runs with 39, which puts him on a pace, I think, to hit 59 or 60 home runs this season. Oh, that would be a thing. He leads the league in walks. He leads the league in slugging percentage. He leads the league in OPS. And he leads the league in total bases. Combine that with the fact that he is 9-5 and five as a pitcher with a 3.43 earned run average has given up fewer hits per nine innings than any pitcher in the American League and is striking out 11.5 batters per nine innings. <laughs> this is insane what this it guy is, is, is doing. It's, 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 listen, last season he had was great. Uh, this season he is having is really one for the all-time for the record books. And, um, yeah, I, in a certain way I'm kind of rooting for them to make the playoffs just so I can see them. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think people, most people – Walking down the street wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup. They don't know that he's six foot four, two hundred and ten pounds. Right. Yeah. That he runs like the wind. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a great, great athlete, and it's just, you know, I, I hope the Angels make the playoffs just so uh, people get a longer, better look at him because How he did is that just franchise that gets that bad uh, you know you remember the angels they were good for a while they were yeah. in world series and so on and they had one of the higher payrolls in baseball and they were a good team they drew more than two million fans a year yes the dodgers were always the dodgers the way the yankees are the yankees and the mets will always be the second team but the mets have had glory years as well the angels and uh, you know everybody has said this over the last whatever couple of years have had mike trout Shohei otani and lose. Yep. Yeah. Right. No farm system. Spending big money on players that don't work out. You know, you spend all that money on Albert Pujols, and you, you know they have mm. an owner in Artie Moreno who likes to make the showy move kind of a thing. And um, it, like I said, it's just been it's been bad there for a while, despite the greatness of Trout and Otani. And you hope this this season that for Otani's sake, I think, and for Trout's, that they make the playoffs and get a little bit more of a spotlight because those two are just terrific. By the um, way, they they have one more thing, too, that I've been watching every day in the box scores. Oh, yes. I know who you're going to say. Mickey Moniak. Mickey Moniak hitting 330, like, baby. Holy cow, is he good. Yeah, he's, he's and really good. And making defensive highlight plays. I cannot blast the Phillies for, for giving up on him. He had every chance here to do it, and he never did. Yeah. Okay? It's not like... You know, they, they gave up on him before he had the opportunity. Um, they traded him for Cindergard too. He wasn't even yeah, from Mars. He was for yeah, Cindergard. That's right. Uh, and he is going there, and he is great. I'm 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 kind of rooting for him just because, you know, it's a it's a likable story. But he's going to be the one. Twenty years from now, when Mike Sealski is doing this show, <laughs> and I am not, you're going to do the. What's the trade that you – what's the guy we let go? Yeah, the Ferguson-Jenkins trade of the 21st yeah, they're, they're, century. Yeah, the Ryan Sandberg. Yeah. Who's the guy that we should have kept? It's going to be – that's going to be it. He's, gonna, he's, he's the stamp him on that one for the year 2020, 2035. little tiny bit of vindication for Matt Klintak. Uh, no. Just a little bit, Glenn. Just no. a little bit. Give him that. Come on. Oh, God. It's like Hackstall, Klintak. <laughs> you you – Stick with I just all like to, of those schmageggies sh- all I just the like time. to poke you a little bit here and there. Oh, Blake from Glenn Mills wants to talk about last night's Phillies game. Hey, Blake, how are you? Hey, Mike and Glenn. How are you guys doing? Hey, today? Blake. Good. I, I just want to let you know I am a uh, in Boston, Boston Logan International Airport speaking to you right now on a flight back home to Philadelphia. Uh, I went to um, Fenway Park uh, uh, last weekend during that whole flooding fiasco that happened there but yes oh man yeah so i'll get into that uh, later but i want to make my phillies point first uh yeah last night um a couple things that i want to take away from that um like these ninth innings like like with the bases loaded need to stop and with no runners not crossing the plate because i mean granted they uh salvaged it and got out of there with a win but there's going to come a time where those runs are going to become important and you may get into a situation where Maybe Kimbrel just doesn't have it, and then you might give up. You know, that might be a, a game he might let up. You know, not that I'm not that I'm hoping he's going to do it, but just you know, I just think that they need to get more consistent and more productive out of their big guns to, um, you know, uh, yeah. to uh, make that happen. No, you're right, Blake. And there's an there's an even uh, more not important, but another factor that goes into that. I would say, which is if you're not tacking on runs and turning a three to two game into a five or six to two game. Then you keep needing to bring Kimbrel and Soto in, and you're going to wear them down. Even if you win the game, and even if they they get the save like Kimbrel did last night, 
you're you're having to use him in situations that you wouldn't necessarily want to, and you run the risk of him wearing down over time. Absolutely, and I agree 100%. So going back to the whole um, my, my uh, whole experience in Boston, so um, me and my family, we decided to take a cruise. Uh, we cruised out to uh, uh, with Holland America, uh, went mm-hmm. to uh, Nova Scotia. That was part of okay. our itinerary, but oh, the first nice. leg of our itinerary was Boston. So we wanted to check out the city for a couple of days, and we figured, oh, the Red Sox are going to be in town Friday night. Let's check out a game. Get there early, you know, get into our seats. Got we were had bleacher seats, but uh, a family member of mine was handicapped, so they moved us to an even better section in the outfield, right behind the Mets dugout. Nice. So um, yeah, you got, we you got an up there. close look at the imploding about, Mets. Like, now go ahead. No, I was just going to say you got an up close look at the imploding Mets. Oh yeah, absolutely, it was great. And uh, but the but the only downfall was when we got the experience four innings of it. That's when the rains came, and it was just like it was just down, like a little downhill from there because we were in the concourse, and it was just absolutely like drenched with water. Yeah. Like, I actually, I don't know if you guys saw it on social media. There was a video guy that was sliding right into um, in the concourse because there was so much water that he wanted to put on a show for the fans. Didn't get a chance to take a video of it, but it's on Twitter if you want to see it. I think it's I, I have not seen that. Uh, having been to Fenway Park many times, went to college up in Boston, family up right. there. It's kind of charming, but kind of a dump. Yeah. I, I yeah. You, you took the words right yeah. out of my mouth, Glenn. And, and, Blake, thank you so much for the call. No, you, you're right, Glenn. You went to BU. My wife went to BU. We we took a trip Smart to Fenway. Smart decision by yeah. her. By yeah. What's smarter, going to BU or marrying the girl who went to BU? Well, it's a good, good, good give me, riddle. Yeah, yes. give me some credit. Anyway, <laughs> we took the, our family up to Fenway a few years ago. Uh, and you're 100% right. Like, you get there, and it's the history, and it's everything, and then you kind of walk around, and you're like, eh, yeah. this is Bank tired. Park's nicer. <laughs> and they've invested a lot of money in it, and they're putting in some, like, really expensive seats and stuff. But you know what? Citizens Bank Park is so much better. It, it is. is. It yeah. is. Uh, Carl, we're up, coming up against a break. He wants to weigh in on Josh Harris. Carl, what say you about yeah. Josh? Uh, I want to take a dispassionate position in defending him vis-a-vis the, the way Glenn feels about him. This is a guy, look, much like Jeffrey Lurie, he didn't want to buy the Eagles. He tried to buy the Pats. Yes. He wanted the team close to home. These yes. guys are buying assets. Yes, and but here's the thing. No passion. Well, no, I disagree with that. So Jeff Lurie did want to buy the Patriots before he ended up buying the Eagles. It didn't happen. He ended up buying the Eagles. And you know what he did? He moved to Philadelphia. He focused entirely oh. on Philadelphia. He, he basically, he, he still had dabbles with some stuff in Hollywood, and he has won Oscars, but he doesn't own other sports teams. He doesn't own the Eagles and then also own the Mets. He owns the Eagles. That's what he does. That is his business. That's what he's focused on. And he is, uh, he is a transplant with tremendous loyalty to the city and the area and reflects that in many ways. Josh Harris? I don't think so. I, I agree. But what I think you, you, you missed miss my point is sports ownership is evolving into a, an accumulation of assets. It is. And yeah. it's, my, it's my prediction. My prediction within five years, Harris is going to put together an investment vehicle, which is a combination of every asset he owns, including soccer in Europe. This guy's going to put a stock together called Harris Sports Inc. or something like that that yeah. the public can buy. Why and I do think that? The, the key, but I think the, the ownership of the Phillies is going to be such a dinosaur within five years because it's a guy from the neighborhood. And 
I, I just think that yeah. that's just the future in sports. Well, it's a guy from the neighborhood who made billions of dollars in Thanks, the, Carl. With, with that cigar business. Yeah. But I'm not discounting what he says, and I am also not telling you that Josh Harris is unique, but I'm also telling you these are my teams. Mm-hmm. These teams, and I'm going to make an, an argument that some people find tiresome, but I don't care. These teams belong to the city. The Philadelphia Eagles will exist after Jeffrey Lurie's gone. Actually, Pisano will probably take them. But, yeah. You know, the Eagles have been around before. The Eagles will be around after. The Philadelphia 76ers will be part of this city, and the fan base will feel about it after Josh Harris goes. To me, my what I think is Josh Harris just sees this as another commodity in his portfolio, Yeah, which I think is what the caller was saying. I am not abiding by that. I don't like it. Yeah, it's it's interesting though, Glenn. I mean, he is being greeted with hosannas and thank yous yeah, and well, joyful tears yeah, in well, the nation's capital. Yeah, well, for just, why would that be? Just because he's not Daniel Snyder, right? There's a low bar to clear if there ever was one. Um, we got to hit a break. Uh, we have time for maybe a call or two on the other side. Dan Wilson is going to tell us what we forgot to talk about. If you want to get a call in, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four with Glenn Macnow. I'm Mike Sealski, 94 WIP. And it's time for me to tell you about guided door and windows. So here's here's what we got here, okay? Bring on the summer heat. That's my message. Huge savings when you replace your old inefficient windows and doors with the great people at Guide Door and Window. Right now, Guide is offering the best discounts of the year with their big 40% off summer sale. It's on all expertly installed windows and doors. If you got drafty windows, you've been meaning to replace them. Do it now. You receive 40% off each window. That's right. 40% off all high-performance, energy-efficient, triple-pane windows. If you need new doors, well, that'll work for you, too. Guide has got you covered. 40% off all high-quality entry doors, patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Plus, you start your project with no money out of pocket. You pay it off interest-free for up to 12 full months. Don't let these incredible savings pass you by. Go Guider right now. Take advantage of these limited-time savings. All prior sales excluded. Offer expires July 31st, so call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski here on 94 WIP. Dan Wilson, do we have Go Birds Radio coming up next? Is that Go right? Birds with Elliot and Ruben Frank coming up next. Rube is back. Nice. That's excellent. That is what you, excellent. What do you got for the rest of the day? Me, I am actually either walking from the studio or taking an Uber to Reading Terminal Market uh, to meet the best man at my wedding, my, my one of my best friends and his wife and their son. They're in town. From Brooklyn for the weekend, so we're going to uh, have lunch together, and nice. then I'm going to. Uh, Do you have a go-to there? I don't. I try to go to a different place every time oh, I'm there, good. and I'm just. Uh, it's funny. I have the the website up now, trying to figure out exactly what I'm hungry for. Do I want a, yeah. uh, you know, uh, corned beef special from the Amish Herschel, deli? Uh, Do I want Danicki's Dini- roast beef, roast pork? Danicks you know? and Herschel's. Those are my two. Those are my two go tos. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm deciding. I'm deciding. Maybe I'll go Chinese. I'm not sure yet. Uh, how about you? What do you got on today? Well, so uh, I have been trying to get in some degree of physical shape this summer, and uh, I, why are we laughing? I'm not laughing at all. I, I heard. I heard. <laughs> I'm snickering. That wasn't my mic on, Glenn. That was Mike. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Fellas. I kid. I kid. So I actually rented an electric bike for the summer because with my with my shot knees like riding mm-hmm. a, a like a real bike 25 miles like that ain't happening 
So I rent an electric bike, and I got to decide by the beginning of next week if I want to buy it from the people who are renting it to me or if I'm giving it back. And so my plan today is to go on a lengthy bike ride and kind of finally decide, like, all right, am I doing this or am I am I done? Am I done? Yeah, I, I think that sounds like a great. But thank plan. you for the snickering. No, at the fact I, that I'm trying to get in shape by no, riding a bike. I, I appreciate that. I think fellas. it's wonderful that you're doing that. I am. Of course, I usually ride the bike and end up drinking beer. At the end, so <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm not, just going to say it's push yeah. pull, right? I yeah. like I said, it's about a mile and a quarter to the Reading Terminal Market from the oh, WIP studios. That? Well, as that's the thing is like I would love to get the exercise in. But I don't want to die before I get to the Reading Terminal. Yeah, market. well, it's 190 degrees. Exactly. So that, that exactly. you know what? That's the problem with everything. It puts the damper on everything, doesn't it? It does. It really, really so. does. Um, there was something I was going to say. Oh, I was going to mention. Um, you know, we're speaking about foods that you love and things like that. One of the reasons I was not on this show for the last month was, uh, as you know, Glenn, my family and I took a trip to France. We went yeah. to Paris, yep. and uh, you know, you mentioned. You know, trying to get back in shape, man. When I came back from that trip, my yeah. blood type was melted butter. It was. <laughs> well, uh, as you know, I was there in May. Yeah. And it's like, yes, every, everything you eat is delicious there. It is. It's it's amazing. You run down to like, uh, you know, a grocery store chain to get croissants. And the croissants there are better than anything yeah. you've ever had in the United States. It's yeah. crazy. Dan Wilson, what do you got for us that we didn't talk about over the last three hours? Yeah, so a couple, uh, well, a few things from the week. Uh, number one, a couple of MLB trade uh, moves that we might have gotten to briefly on the show, but kind of just diving more into it. Two former Phillies pitchers actually on the move this week. Noah Syndergaard earlier in the week goes from the Dodgers to the Guardians in exchange for Ahmed Rosario. Uh, and then later in the week, the Mets, uh, are they selling at the deadline, giving David Robertson uh, to the Marlins for two two prospects, which then caused Max Scherzer in his media availability to say that he needs to, quote-unquote, have a talk with the Mets brass and ownership about the direction of the franchise. You know, the Mets have a long history of building up people's expectations and then falling flat on their face. Uh, there was a great book written in the early 90s, Glenn, I don't know if you remember, called The Worst Team Money Could Buy mm -hmm. um, by Bob Clappish and John Harper, two esteemed New York baseball writers. And it was all about the Mets, I think, of 1992 or 93. Um, when they had all these big-name players they'd spend big money on, and they were just terrible, bad bunch of guys. But this season might be the all-timer in terms of uh, spending money and getting everybody's hopes up and then just crashing. Including the their own star pitcher. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. I don't think he's going anywhere, but I appreciate his his feelings. And and Syndergaard, God bless him, he's just shot. I watched him a couple weeks ago. He's He's got nothing left. What else we got, Dan? So number two, uh, there's a little bit of news at a training camp this week, among all the other things of how long practice is and a few positional battles, uh, including the punter. But one thing that I took away from the week is that Jalen Hurts, not once but twice, has turned down the Netflix show quarterback that everyone loves. I know Glenn was kind of lukewarm on it, but that a 24-year-old quarterback about to turn 25, or might have just turned 25, how many guys at that age would be mature enough? And I think the wording he used was, I don't think it was appropriate for that show to be filming me right now yeah, in, in my career. The one thing I've, I think about him, and everything suggests that this goes back to his college days and really even his upbringing before that is, he's not about him. He's about team, and he's always about team. Um, and I watched that show, and, I mean, it was it was good. I didn't think it was good, but, it was good. but, but clearly it's – you know, the, the, here's the quarterback, and here's his wife, and it's all about them, and he doesn't want to be that guy. And I appreciate that he's just so dedicated to the cause that he's not looking out for that. There was an Eagles quarterback on that show, Glenn. 
Marcus Mariota. I know. Uh, well, the tail end of it shows him, like, you know, going to the Eagles. Yep. Yeah. 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 What, last one, Dan. Yeah, last one. Uh, maybe an empty threat, maybe not. It's been going on in the league forever. The NBA formally threatened Damian Lillard and his agent uh, for being too open, too outspoken about only wanting to go to Miami. I don't know what this is actually going to change, but they're not thrilled with the fact that players are like, yeah, I will only play for this team. I am so sick of the NBA trying to have it both ways. This is They built their entire marketing scheme around players and where they might go and who they might want to play for and all this stuff, and then they balk when uh, the guys do what Someone they're actually incentivized does it, yeah. to do. Yeah, I, I'm tired of this. It's You know who ripped them, the, the, the players and the league, really hard this week? I heard it on the morning show, Julius Irving. Really? Did a, did a podcast where he's sick and tired of it. And, and Julius Irving, all people said, it's the prisoners running the joint. Wow. That's yeah. interesting. So yeah. real quick before we go, Glenn, I talked to Doc for the book that I'm working on about the myth and magic of the slam yeah. dunk. And yeah. I'm not going to reveal it, but I have a couple really, really fun and revealing nuggets from him, including a quote from him about uh, a couple of great contemporary players of his that I think people are going to – Kind well, your book, uh, you're writing a book, The History of Basketball is Seen Through the Slam Dunk, uh, and I, I think it's going to be terrific. Can't wait to read it. Thanks, man. Uh, thank you to Zach Berman for coming on with us at noon. Thank you to Randy Moss for talking to us at 11 o'clock and for everyone who made that happen. And thanks to Cindy Dan Webster. Wilson. Yeah, thanks to her. Yep. Yeah, thanks to Cindy. Thanks to Dan Wilson for producing. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Birds, Go Birds Radio, excuse me, coming up next with Elliot Shore Parks and Ruben Frank. Enjoy your Saturday, everybody. Stay cool. 94 WIP. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.